On the topic of player engagement and session zeros and the like, what is the most memorable house rule or combat mistake that you have made as a DM? Oh, easy. I do the, in, when we were doing 3.5 anyways, you roll three 20s in a row, you die. Or, or like, if you're attacking, uh, you roll three 20s in a row, the, it dies. If they're attacking you, you get three 20s in a row, you die. Right. That's just yeah, the way it is. Because back then you rolled to crit, and then you had to roll to confirm the crit. And then you rolled again afterwards for, what was it, additional damage? No, yeah, I think the third 20 was just a, was the house rule. So if you rolled a crit, it might not be a crit? So if you roll a critical, you then have to roll a d20 again, and if you beat the armor class, the AC again, then it hits. You confirmed the critical. If it happens to be an additional 20, if you do it again, like you roll the second time a 20, then you get the rare third roll. And only on a 20 does it do anything, but it's an auto kill. Which is a 1 in 8,000 chance of actually hitting. But I watched it happen a fuck lot. Like, wow. it, it, all the fucking time. So, uh, let me see. The the worst house rule that I, I ever... God, what was the worst house rule? It could be ever? combat mistake. I, put, I gave you the option of house rule or combat mistake. Um, I don't know. I, I, my, my first round of crit tables were just ridiculously powerful. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of delimbing people. Mm-hmm. Um, all over that. That got adapted pretty fucking quick. Right. Um, I don't know if you remember, but in like one session, one person got like petrified off of the crit table. Someone else, like you lost an arm and we had to like, I lost the leg back at the thigh. Oh yeah. Hip. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But like all in about 25 seconds yeah. of gameplay. I'm like, shit, these, these crit tables have got to go. Which is why if you go onto the Google drive and you look, you'll see version two, three, and four that I put up there. Not version one. Uh, that never got put. I should. I stole your crit table, so I should go back. I think you've got version four. It's what else? Like deadly. Yeah. Oh, is it okay for me? I have this horrible habit. It's it's memorable now. I won't do it anymore. But when I early when I started DMing, I wanted to play with like realism. So I wanted things like enemies to be in like formations and stuff. I'm like, well, they would advance at you like this. And then the wizard would just be like, oh, so they're all in close proximity. I'll just like fireball everything. And it took me too many times to not make that mistake anymore. I think we did that Curse of Strahd battle based entirely off of your real world excellent tactics, real bad D&D tactics. Yeah, D&D mechanics. Yeah, I remember that. And that was really early because that was like the first campaign that I DM'd. Um, you know, before that, it was just one shots. Yeah, and I did that exact thing. You're right. That's the situation where it happened. They all came out in formation. Perfect. Boom. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of It's a Mimic, where we continue our conversation on Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Dan, and today I'm all alone in the studio, so that I can talk about bedroom furniture that can engage your players and spice up your love life in special ways. In this episode, we're going to talk about structural integrity, appropriate methods of restraining two, three, four furries at once, and how to tap out your safe word in Morse code. But before we get started, I'd like to talk about why WD-40 is considered a degreaser and not a lubricant. The fuck are you doing, Dan? Uh, get uh, out, uh, you quit! No! Get the fuck out! Okay, bye! <laughs> bye, Dan! Bye, Dan! Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's up, man. So, legit, bye! Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, Welcome back to the It's a Mimic podcast. 
We hope you had a wonderful holiday season. The last few weeks here have been spent head down, poring over books, and arguing about topics for episodes. We spent some time poking and prodding at the formula here and thinking about what we should do to hit the ground running in the new year, and there were a lot of absolutely terrible ideas. But, during all of our self-reflection, we realized that there were a number of concepts that we've never been able to shape into an episode because of our adherence to the six kinds of regular episodes that we always ended up returning to. Lore, races, classes, monsters, DM tips, and dragons. But now that the well is run temporarily dry on classes and subclasses, we're going to work a few episodes into the next few months that look at what we, and you, can do to be better as players at the D&D table. Not just mechanically, but from a meta perspective as well, because a lot of the horror stories and dead ends you hear about have to do with expectations, miscommunication, and lack of fulfillment. So, how can we take some of the load off of the DM's shoulders and get ourselves to be more engaged? Well, we have some ideas. So, welcome to our first episode in our conversation on player engagement in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Dave, and this episode is called Player Engagement, Making the Dream Work. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the panel of Dungeon Masters is going to focus on the meta. What can you do to make your games more fun and more engaging and therefore more epic and exciting? Because a table of interested and happy people is more likely to want to get together more often for this wonderful pastime of slaying enemies and getting rewards. The more fun we have, the more we look forward to the next session, the more we prioritize it, and the less we cancel plans to slay dungeons and explore dragons. Um, uh, I, I forgot my keys. <laughs> get them! <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Jesus. Who was that guy? <laughs> I don't know. Vague recollection. Let me ask you both, because you've sat at a few different D&D tables of different qualities over the years, who is the best player you've ever seen at the table and why? Let's let's roll for it. Sure. I want to use a new dice tower. Oh yeah, this thing's great. I got a nine. I ended up on a two. I got a 15. All right, talk to yourself first, Dave. Uh, I, I often do. Uh, why should today be any different? Uh, best player at my table? I don't know. It's, it's really hard. I've had a lot of different players uh, doing the uh, the Christmas one-shot. Uh, I mean, Terry, I DM'd for you for the first time. Brad for the first time. James, I'd only done a couple of times. But I would say that the person that I really enjoyed the most uh, would be Kyle. Just because... He brought such a fresh perspective to the game. I've been playing with the same players for years and years, and he brought this new perspective, and he's asked me questions that I just didn't consider before. Uh, he's more engaged. He's You can tell that he's not just doing this to hang out with the guys. He's doing this because he loves playing D&D, and that's the passion behind it makes him care a little bit more. It means he's a little bit more ready. Even if he has a complex turn to do, he knows what he's doing, and he does it, and it's done. Moving on. And that's great. It's perfect. That's what every player should do. He comes ready. Yeah, it's a tough question because it's like uh, best is in favor, best is in tactically best, leans into all of the pillars. Um, it's a tough one. But you know, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you know who's quite good? Don't say it. I want to say it. Don't fucking you say it. You can't do it. No, you so can't. I say it? No. <laughs> so I say it. You guys have figured out who it is. We can't give him the credit, can we? No, never. Because he doesn't exist anymore. Who? <laughs> Dan is quite good to, <laughs> to play with. Why? Dan is quite good because he's learned over the years. He knows so much about D&D that when I was newer to D&D, he was easier to play with because uh, it wasn't a table full of people that were struggling. He got what was happening. He knew when to follow the railroad if there was a railroad or an obvious 
set of breadcrumbs. Uh, he knew when we should probably be looking at the books. He knew when we should probably not engage in the combat. And so he was a great, um, he was a great coach. He did coach too much, but he was a great <laughs> example of how to play the game. Stop coaching and stop telling me what the monsters are. Um, I gotta say, and I absolutely hate pumping the tires of people on the podcast because it sounds like we just play the same four people over and over again. I have DM for probably about 15 people in the last four years um, across a bunch of different campaigns. But my favorite person to DM for always is Terry. Is me? Yeah, always. Because not only do you come with a fully fleshed out character, but you are in it to to play the game. You never show up and get distracted. You are there from the very beginning. You're engaged. You're engaged during other people's turns. You hit, you are always engaged in every one of the three pillars. Like, my favorite person to, to have as a player for combat is Dave. Because he and I sit across a chessboard that looks like a D&D battle map. And he's like, all right, well, I know that I have exactly 25 feet of movement before I can get over here. And he is just tactically yeah. the best player. But... But then when it comes to role playing, I look over and he's got yeah, he's three knuckles deep up his nose, right? Like he's <laughs> And I'm not really wrong. One, two Yeah, you yeah, know. Uh, <laughs> yep, that checks out. Um but the idea of of communication as well. I had you jump in both feet and do a uh evil campaign a couple of years ago mm. where you didn't know everybody at the table at that point. And you hit the ground running role playing and <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else there was role playing. I didn't know that no. at the time. No, because <laughs> our other group did do that. Yeah. So I just they weren't role playing, so they were just like inherently evil. That's just, <laughs> just yeah. like, that's how that worked out, right? <laughs> like almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, the and the thing too is every time that I handed out a magic item, Terry'd be like, "Okay, how does this work? What is it? What color is it? How do you hold it?" Every time there's a new NPC, I can fucking rely on Terry to say, "What's their name?" Where are they from? Are they married? I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> 20 questions with every NPC. But it made my game better because he was invested. Right? And so, there you are, Terry. Like, you have, you're probably one of the all-round, most rounded, best engaged players that I've ever worked with. Thanks, Adam. Um, uh, and I used to, not to pump my own tires, but it's just a stupid thing I did, would take the magic items off you physically. Oh, yeah. I, Whatever I, Adam gives me in the game, I reach across the table and take it from him and then inspect it in my hand. Like it's a, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's legit this. pantomime with Terry and I. <laughs> just to into it. And, uh, and, and we actually, uh, <laughs> you know, we got married. We actually, uh, and we had a child. Yeah. <laughs> You were magnificent. Do you guys want me to leave? Like, <laughs> All right, before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. So let's check in on what the It's a Mimic Patreon has to offer this week. At the beginning of the week, we released seven unedited, never-before-aired episodes of the Campaign Builder from 2020. In those episodes, Dan and I continued building dynamic encounters for a level 6 and level 7 party. We've since decided to go back and retcon the storyline for those episodes so that we can start next month with a new format for Tier 2 play. 
I'll be joined for a few episodes by a different host of the It's a Mimic podcast on a rotating basis so that we can see how other dungeon masters approach building dynamic encounters as the party continues to level all the way up to level 20. A new episode of the Campaign Builder will be available for Patreon subscribers every two weeks, starting at the beginning of next month. Additionally, on Thursday, which will be our regular Patreon release day, we'll be releasing the next episode of Legend Lore for some subscribers. In this episode, I sit down with Tyler and dig through the journeys through the Radiant Citadel, which actually had quite a few pleasant surprises for us. And to wrap up the week, part one of the new Legend Lore Online series will drop on Friday. In this short series, I'll be looking at whether or not you should be investigating some of the little-known online-exclusive content that Wizards of the Coast has released. Episode 1 will be traveling back in time to cover the first four official online products. The Elemental Evil's Player Companion, the Tortle Package, One Grung Above, and the Lost Kenku. Now let's get back to the show. So... There are a number of things to think about when it comes to being a good player, and you can talk about tactics and character building all you want, but what we're going to talk about is a little bit more meta, and for those of you who've been playing this game for a long time, you've probably, you know all this, but it might have been a while since you've checked in on it, right? Um, for yourself and for the people around the table, um, I recommend uh, every time that I hear one of these episodes on another podcast or run across a YouTube um, channel that has one of these episodes, I tend to send a link to people that I play with, not to say, hey, you know what, fuck you, you're a bad player, do better, but to say, hey, did you ever think about this, right? I think we as a collective group could do better at this. And the big thing that I see for most conversations is how to be a better player so that you have more fun. But I'd like to think about it from a DM's perspective. What do we see in the best players who are having more fun and make it more fun for the other people around the table, including us as DMs? We're players too. We just don't have player characters, right? So um, the number one thing to really think about is the social contract. And this is hinted at when we talk about session zero and people like to hand out questionnaires or they come up with um, I've seen a lot of, um, you can hold up a card if you're feeling uncomfortable and the DM knows to pull back. Like People are coming up with methods now to be more understanding and inclusive and steer away from problematic or troubling topics. But there is a social contract that, that goes even beyond that. And that social contract is you are here to have fun and you're not here to waste anybody else's time. Everyone else is here to have fun and they're not here to waste your time either. How often have you sat at a table twiddling your thumbs, waiting for your fucking turn, thinking this is a waste of my time? I don't want to talk about that. Do you have players that do that, though? I mean, you guys are, all three of us are DMing campaigns right now. Right. Do you have a player that is clearly getting bored when other people are taking too long? I I do have that right oh, now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah, um, I 100% do, and his name is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep myself busy. Yeah, I do. I have a guy who's so heavily into role play. He's very extroverted uh, and loves that and loves it when I can engage with him in that. But everybody else is so excited by the, the they're, they're tactical players. They're so excited. They will do the odd little bit of role play or whatever. And they like the puzzles, the exploration, but they're so tactical. 
And he's so extroverted and roleplay heavy that he struggles when they're taking their time on their turns and they're really fleshing out their plan. Doing what players do, spending an hour and a half coming up with a plan that will never work. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go talk to the big bad. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just threw Dave under the bus, but honestly, when you get, you said this, when you get used to playing 900 different NPCs in the span of a two hour period, you run all of these different monsters, you control the battle map and you know what's going to happen next. When you are sitting there waiting 25 minutes to roll a single d20, oop, I missed. Next. It can get super fucking boring. So, um, and, and that's fair. It is really hard for me to turn my DM brain off. Uh, I don't like to be a player anymore. I just don't like doing it. We did the Christmas episode, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a player. I'm, I'm not interested in doing this shit anymore, unless I'm learning a new system. Like Call of Cthulhu, I would love to be a player in that, because there's always shit for me to think about. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to... I couldn't play Curse of Strahd again. I, I've done it once. Oh, fuck, I couldn't do it again. I could yeah. DM it, but I couldn't play it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and it's that social contract. I know that I would be a bad player, because I would get bored. I, and I would be sitting there watching the DM going, that thing has 46 hit points, but we've already done 32 damage to it. So, um. When you've lived behind the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to go back. So that's part of the social contract as well is if you've read the books, if you own the monster manual as a player and you've gone through it, if the DM says, I don't know that for certain, let me get back to you. We're going to do it this way for this session and we'll come up with the answer before next session, or when somebody else says, hold on, let me look up that that spell, you're not there coaching, right? They're not trying to waste your time, but if you sit there and start to to overrun them, then you are getting in the way of their fun, right? And so that's, that's the social contract we're talking about, is you have to make sure that everyone else is having fun. And that often means that we cannot take the time out to have our own special main character. And that's one thing that I really like about Critical Role. There's no main character. That's true. And it kind of got rid of that idea that was prevalent in previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons, where my character is more important than every other character there. I'm going to, I mean, you see it in the new Kender, right? The, yes, Kenders are back, Dave. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, yeah. Not at my table. Hooray. <laughs> but they no longer have that built-in bullshit where they just steal from people because they don't understand ownership. That's gone. Because before, it was toxic to have to deal with that. And... This is, again, the kind of social contract that we have. You know when you sit down at the table if it is appropriate or if it's going to piss people off if you end up going PvP, if you take their shit, if you attack the other players. And there may be reasons to do it, and I like to encourage it in my own game to be like, here's a dilemma, how are you guys going to get this? But we almost never roll initiative. It's just understood the players don't attack the players unless out of game the players go, do you want to fight? Do you want to do this? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I really like about 5th edition as opposed to, again, 3.5. It's 3.5, it was so easy to just butt heads with other players. There were so many player-on-player combats, at the, like, playing that edition. But in 5th edition, the only time I had player-on-player is when one of them went temporarily insane. Yeah. Or was possessed. Or there's a, a, a factor to it. Not, oh, well, because it says blah, blah, blah. I wanted why. that gold. Fuck you. Yeah. Right? And... And it wasn't necessarily built into the mechanics, but it was very much the mentality of the players back then, right? Um, and when you go back even further than that, your character would play at different sessions with different characters and different players because it's just who's available on Friday to show up, bring whatever character sheet you have, and if you complete this and you live, you get this loot. Anybody that doesn't show up doesn't get the loot. Right. So your job is to be the best hero. And people 
latched onto that because it's my character. And that's not it anymore. Now it's our party instead of my character. And it's something that we have to think about. Um, we've talked at length about Session Zero in the past. Um, we did it in I think Episode 9 was a big Session Zero uh, episode way, way back at the very beginning. Um, Dan and I have talked about it uh, on the Campaign Builder We've talked about it here and there through oh, all the, all the time. playing yeah. episodes. And and a lot of people. It's one of the most popular things that have come into 5th edition. And we, I think it's now getting worked into the regular Dungeon Master's Guide for the next edition. Mm-hmm. There's been some rumor about that. So I don't feel the need to touch on that too much. But it is definitely worth, if you haven't done a session zero, think about sitting down and talking with your players about what is appropriate and what is not. And not only what they don't want, but also what they do want. Right now, um, as we're recording this, um, I'm taking a break from DMing. We just wrapped up before Christmas, and Megan is going to lead us through like three or four weeks of Legend of the Five Rings, because she always talks about the podcast. I'm like, fuck it, teach me. (laughs) Teach me the ways. And, And I just, as you walked in, Terry... yeah. I was sending out a message being like, so there's kind of like a bard-like character. Is it okay if I do that? Is that appropriate? Because I know, I know, I'm going to take over the fucking table if I end up in a roleplay scenario where I get to out-talk an NPC. I'm going to fucking love that. But is that appropriate for everyone at the table, right? So it's not just what do we want and, and what do we not want, but it's what do the other players around the table want as well. And it's what we need to be thinking about as players. But how many players sit there and think, what does the DM want? How many games have you been in where the big bad evil guy starts to monologue and then someone cuts him off, casts silence, and then attacks? That is a fucking go-to tactic that I've seen over and over and over again. And while that might be a really cool moment for you, that robs the DM of the thing they're looking forward to doing. They wrote a four-page monologue, let them do it. And they probably wrote it a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. So so we have to think about, in the moment... Like, from a meta perspective, in any given moment, who deserves the spotlight? And will we give them that spotlight? And sometimes, giving them the spotlight just means make eye contact and listen. If I start playing on fucking Instagram while Terry's going through role-playing, he doesn't have the spotlight. I'm just waiting my turn. That's not shining the spotlight on you. Focusing all the attention in the room on that person who has earned this moment. So we need to think about where we're focusing at the table as players, but also where we're focusing as characters as well. You guys have both had the quirky, fun goblin that the players have fallen in love with. Oh, yes. That did not have anything to do with the overarching plot of the campaign. Yeah, it's always subplot. Right. Yeah. I have been derailed as a DM more than once because the players found something neat and shiny that they wanted to play with. Uh, They ignored the dark, mysterious quest giver over in the corner of the tavern to go hit on the barmaid. Fine. Fine, you can go ahead and do that all you want, but you've pulled focus from the campaign, from the story, and everybody else is now waiting their turn to watch Jamie, for example, flirt with the freaking scholar girl that he was in love with. Holy shit, there was so much just like rolling to flirt in that campaign that I finally had to say, we'll we'll do this midweek. I put my foot down, we're not wasting time at the table anymore. Um, It was fucking egregious. When you sit there and you say, hey, I want to go... to the apothecary, what are on all the shelves? And the DM is like, I don't know, magic tables A through C. And you whip out the DMG and say, all right, hold on. <laughs> Stay on task. Stay focused. Right? And it is okay to say, can we assume that I went shopping? And then I'll hit you up in midweek. Right? It's not just giving the attention to the person at the table. 
it's pulling focus from the overall goals as well. So we've talked a little bit about being engaged when it's not your turn, supporting others. But one of the big things to really focus on, I think the last point that I have to make in this portion of the episode is we're all fucking adults, right? Even if you are 16 and listening to this, you can act like an adult, right? You are, you may be a teenager, but you are an adult in your own mind uh, because we all were when we were 16, mm-hmm. right? And, 100%. And so act like a fucking adult. And that's just it. Conflict resolution is the name of the game. If you and a player don't get along, hash it out like people because the name of the game is to have fun, not have fun with these three people and be super tense with that person and kind of dread the night before showing up to your your session. I've got a, a player right now in Call of Cthulhu who loves to cancel last minute. Loves to cancel last minute. And I started to wonder, is he having personality issues with someone else in the room? Because it's like he's waiting for that opportunity. Mm. And I got to sit down and have a conversation with him and be like, what's the problem? Is it is there a personality conflict? We need to handle this like adults now. Um, so these things, we have to check up on all of the time. Session zero isn't enough. You got to do session 0.5. Session zero doesn't end when you go home. No. Right? And it doesn't end when you play the session one. Nope. You need to do it again all of the time. So talk like adults and talk with your dungeon master. They're not there to be the referee between you and other people. They're not a counselor. They're there to be a rules adjudicator and to provide the story and the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and to raise tension in the story, not to fix the tension at the table. In the story, not in the room. Yeah. yeah. And, but talk to them because a lot of the times they're seeing everybody from the outside, whereas you guys are seeing everybody from the inside of the party, of the story, of the game. So um, it might be something as simple as one person feels like they aren't getting the appropriate attention and the DM needs to just let them find the magic item. Give them the NPC to talk to. Give them the spotlight a little bit more because not everybody deserves equal parts of every session. They need to just be satisfied. And that might be 5% of the spotlight of the session is on Dave and he's happy and Terry needs 45% and he's happy. But that doesn't take away from Dave. So who gives a shit, right? So, yeah. So work together as adults. And just to add to that real quick, so we stay on time. Some people don't want the spotlight. It's not that it's not that they necessarily want the spotlight more. No, they might not even want the spotlight that much. They just might also not want this other person to always have it. Yeah. They're not saying, hey, give it to me. They're just saying, just don't give it to them all the time. Yeah, I didn't realize I was playing a secondary character to that guy who yeah. is and and here's something that I've seen in the past. Oh shit, it drives me nuts when I see this. Um, when the uh, significant other is playing as a player and gets all of the special magic items between sessions and mm. all that other shit, like remember, remember that secret conversation we had in the car on the way over here? Yeah, do that now. Fuck, don't pull that shit. If you are playing with your significant other, and I think Terry, you are, and I have introduced Mia into my campaign now, and yeah. Like, no special treatment, and I'm sorry, you may have the great grand ideas, and we can talk about it because I see you more than anybody else, but equal amount of spotlight, equal amount of preferential treatment, and don't get butt hurt when you when I spend time on somebody else. That's just it. Meg is pretty good about that, but I have seen it in the past where people have gotten real fucking upset. So, um, I'm going to roll dice. It's been too long since we've done that. So yeah. Grab dice. I have questions. That's twice I got bumped. You guys both got 19. Reroll. Oh, all right. I got a three. I was on a 15. 19, 19 again for Terry. 20, 19, and 19. That never happens. That's all right. Well, okay, then. So, um, I got like three natural 20s yesterday. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what's an overlooked aspect of session zero that you think more players need to bring to the table? 
I think going back to basics, and I think especially, especially for new players, if, if people are newer to D&D, they will play the game how they think they are supposed to play. They don't know. Everything's new. And when you're in, and when you're playing a game where you say, you can do anything, people will go, okay, well then I will think, I will do what I think I'm supposed to do. And I've been playing for about eight years now, and I've made all of the basic mistakes. I thought it might be a good idea to have a conflict with somebody in the in the party. Realize that it did work out well. I have uh, split the party so many times. I've done what name a basic thing. I can't think of examples right now, but I but I, but I have definitely done all of those things. Uh, talked to the shopkeeper for too long because I thought we're having fun. We're talking to the shopkeeper. This is hilarious. You asked what color NPCs nipples were. You asked what color NPCs. I don't think I did ask that question. No, I don't think so either. But they asked it about your romantic interest. That's right. It's rarely me that asks these questions, but it gets associated with me. (laughs) Something to do with me, but I didn't actually ask the question. Um, I've done all of those things because people will just play how they think they're supposed to play or they think what is necessarily allowed. And, uh, and, and for a game where we say you can do anything, Man, there's a lot of kind of expectations with it as well. Um, so just return to return to basics. Hey guys, you're gonna have downtime when it comes to shopping. We'll uh, we'll speed it up. We don't need to role play every single thing. Blah blah blah. This is how we yeah. do this. Is how we do that. Uh, but just get back to basics because if you never went through it, you can't really complain if somebody is doing it. Because that may be how they did it in their last game that they may never have played before. So. Especially when you're doing pickup games online or you're going to your local comic book store or game store to, to, you know, play every other Saturday with total strangers. You don't know how people do it. So this is why it's important in the Session Zero. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it, it, it sounds really simple and really basic, but it's the most important. Make sure that you communicate your expectations. Like, that, that's that's really what you got to do out of the, like... That's the important thing in a session zero. You can talk about, oh, well, I don't want this, and I don't want this, and I want my character to do this, and we want to do this. But if you don't say that, you know, you expect everybody to show up, you expect everyone to even bring snacks even. Like, it doesn't have to be something in-game. You know, you just, you have to make sure that everybody expects it, or has those expectations and meets them, right? I expect my players to know what they're going to do when they come to a table. When it's their turn, they may not be able to do everything right away, but the expectation is there that they have thought about this and planned it and done a little bit of prep. I can wait a minute while you look something up real quick, but I'm not waiting five minutes for you to flush it out. Yeah. Right? My expectation is that you come and you come ready. Yeah, but, it, but it, not everybody will know that, right? People are different. Like, some people might be like, does it matter if I get there dead on 7.30? But there's someone else at the table It's like, yeah, it does. I'm on time everywhere I go, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's like it's when they cast a spell. Know how your spell works. Maybe you don't use that spell every session. Maybe you use it once every seven sessions or so. But just because you haven't used it in a month doesn't mean you need to forget. Refresh yourself. Know your stuff. Come in prepared. Um, the thing for me, and this is weirdly nitpicky, session zeros tend to be about what's uncomfortable, what's traumatizing for people, what's appropriate or inappropriate at a table, as well as, you know, basic logistical things as well, character building and how often are we going to play and all that basic shit that, that everyone has talked about with session zeros. But one thing that I find people don't understand, and I've watched, I've watched people get real angry at the table about this, is, um, how do spells work? And I don't just mean, like, is there a material component and does my focus use it up when I cast it? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, when you are casting friends on somebody, what do the other patrons in the bar see? Because you are not doing that secretly. There is no stealth casting. Unless you are a sorcerer, that can stealth cast because you took that meta magic. That's there for a reason. 
the idea that you have magic words that you speak out loud. I mean, we ran into this recently in a session um, where there were a bunch of monsters that were sleeping and a combat broke out. And and Dan went to be like, all right, I'm going to cast a spell. I'm like, how? Is there a verbal component? Yeah. You're going to wake them up. Yeah. You, you have enough intelligence and wisdom to know that. And you went, well, fuck. I guess me, the bard, is going to pull out a dagger and start slitting throats. Right? Because it's quiet. It's all about those weird little mechanics. Can I target to shoot them in the hand so they drop their wand? Uh, you're calling a shot. That's a big no-no. I don't let my players do that. Uh, and if they want to, fine. But then the monsters can call shots too. And you'll be dropping your weapons all over the place. And like, it has to be fair. Here are my expectations, as Dave said, right? So, um, Terry, what do you do to stay engaged when it's someone else's turn in initiative? I think you should always be engaged because you always need to understand what's going on. You have, as a, as a class... You have a particular job or an expectation. Every combat also has an objective. It may be take out this key person, steal the MacGuffin, survive for five rounds, whatever it is. Uh, and so but in between your turns, you should be uh, analyzing what's going on so that you are better prepared to do that job when it gets around to your turn. It's And, and you might argue, well, things change. People move around. People do whatever. Look, I know. I played an arcane trickster rogue where I depended on the positioning of the other players and it always got fucked up the turn before mine and I had to think on my feet. I get it. But you should be uh, you should be spending that time to figure out how you are going to benefit the objective of the team. Uh, I find if there's combat going on and it's not my turn, then I, I just, just try to figure out what's going on. I, I try to stay listening, but I'm also looking at my sheet to figure out what abilities I have and just refreshing myself on, oh, well, I, I was a Leonin recently. How does my daunting roar work? I'll, I'll brush up on that. Just read that again real quick. Because you've seen my character sheets. Like, on the section, I copy and paste and print out the entire description of the ability. And it's right there, ready for me to read it. That's what I do between my turns. I've never seen you look at a book during a game. I try not to. Right? Yeah. I bring them, but I try not to. Yeah, uh, my big thing, when I, am a, when I am a player, I sit there and I look at... because. Because I am a dungeon master and I run a D&D podcast, I know how many second level spell slots you have. I just happen to inherently know that because I know the game so damn well. So when you are over there casting Shatter or you are over there casting Cure Wounds, I'm sitting there going, that's the third time so far. We haven't had, we're nowhere near a short rest. Our bard, our wizard, our cleric is running out of spell slots. Our monk is running low on key points. Wow, they just got hit for a lot. They probably don't need a healing potion yet, but I'm going to pull one out and hold it on my empty hand because it's, it's coming. I can feel it. And I'm trying to figure out the resource management of the other players there as well. I, I think about in um, the Mines of Moria, Lord of the Rings, when everybody's fighting each... Like, ooh, they get ambushed in that um, in the well room, right? And the troll comes in and whatnot. And they're all sitting there fighting. They can see what the other people are doing there. They can tell when someone needs help. And Aragorn just runs around pulling hobbits out of the fire over and over and over again, right? And I, that, that's what my character is going to do. Especially if I'm going to be a cleric or a bard or a druid, someone with some healing, right? Well, what do you do when you have to sit through a, a pillar or an aspect of the game that doesn't interest you? Like, hey, we're shopping. Yeah, um, so I watched this, uh, this was a few years ago, I watched this guy, it's, I don't even know what to say, it's just like a sales thing, a sales uh, trend thing that this uh, guy was doing, and he was talking about what he was trying to convince his wife to go to a restaurant, and uh, she said, I don't like that restaurant, and it was just a line that I thought applied here, and he said, well, if you did, would you go? And she said, yes, and then he said, like, follow on questions from there, and th anyway, 
Uh, but, but the reason I bring that example up is because if there's an aspect of the game that you don't like, it's like, well, if you did like it, would you engage in it? Yes. How do you know you don't like it? So just put some effort into it and you and you may come out actually enjoying a part of it. Maybe you didn't like exploration, but you leaned into it. And actually that skill challenge was pretty good that we did there. Or now I am suddenly interested in the world more. So just lean into it. Listen, learn, find out why everybody else likes it and do your best to support it. Do you know who does this really well that I discovered yesterday? Brad. Yeah. I yeah. sat right there and I sat next to Brad. Brad is a pleasure to play D&D with. Absolutely. I had the best yeah. time with him yesterday. Yeah. But he is a force of fucking chaos, too. He, yeah, but he was, uh, he was leaning into whatever I was doing. He was supporting it in, in all three pillars of the game. Um, just because, well, it was enhancing my fun, but he was just staying engaged and just trying to, maybe it's not his uh, priority, but this is what we're doing. And it will be better if more people are on board with it. So be engaged. Uh, yeah. Okay. Dave. What do I do at the table when there's a pillar that I don't like? I, I get distracted very easily. That's what I do. Terry, everything you said, I felt attacked there. Okay, uh, I am a, a I am a bad bad role model for this side of the game. I am very bad at it. Dave is my problem player. At the table. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me tell you what I do. We play on Sundays. So you're playing as an individual, Dave, and now we have a table full of individuals. Y- you're not wrong, Terry. You're not wrong, and okay. I I am addressing that, and I feel. Like, I was specifically asked to do this podcast episode for a particular reason. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Um, but uh, we play Sundays. Do you know what else happens on Sundays that I'm really passionate about? Football. You know what I'm doing? I'm checking my fantasy score real quick. You know what, you know what else I'm doing? I'm checking the scores of the games real quick. You know what? And, and that's an honest truth. I do that all the time. I try to avoid conversations. I don't get into conversations with people. I don't text. But I'll be honest. I do that. Uh, on top of that, another thing I like to do that I... You don't get into conversations with people because they don't let you and Dan sit beside each other anymore. No, no, I mean like on my phone. I try not to like look at any conversation on my phone. I, I really do try to yeah. steer clear of that. Uh, I'm trying to be distracted for 10 seconds and come back, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to get, you know... Glance at the headline, not get into an argument. Yeah. Exactly. But um, uh, the other thing that I've done that's actually I found worked relatively well for me. I'm not a very artistic person. I don't do art very well. But I, I have recently, in the last year or so, drawn a little bit. And when I'm really bored and I'm really, really trying to stay on task, I'll bust out my pen and paper and draw the sword I'm holding. Draw the axe I've got. Draw the shield that I've got. And it's just something, it allows me to put a little more effort into my character. I am still listening. I am still paying attention. I'm just keeping my hands busy. Because that's what I have a real problem with. The other thing, and I'll give you a shout out. Because yes, you're my problem player. And yes, you get distracted. And yes, I want to throw your phone out the fucking window. However, saying that, when we started playing this campaign, Dave said, this is a uh, group full of role players, and I'm out of my fucking depth. Yeah. I am I am here to do the combat, and only the combat, and if you expect me to role play, I won't. So You should play Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but gets three jobs before you do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah. So, but I will say this. What I, I looked at Dave's going in the eye, and I said, you know what this table is. You're opting to show up on Sundays. Uh, you are an experienced player. Do better. And his response to that was, okay, I'm going to come up with a thing. And he launched into the traits and flaws and, and bonds and whatnot that his background gave him and latched on to the I'm confidently incorrect to the point where it became this, this ongoing joke. And you have, do you have an item, like a physical object? Oh, yeah. Dan made me a hat that has yeah, that on it. Yeah. yeah confidently I, incorrect. And it's spelled wrong, too. But clearly. He was a barbarian. Come but on. But every time that, that, the party got split in the middle because there was five players at the time. And so two say, I want to go left. Two say they want to go right. They'd look at Dave, who is half paying attention, not role playing, not getting involved in any of this shit, 
just looking at this call and they said, Dave, where do you want to go? And without missing a beat, he would know in his head, left feels like the wrong idea. Let's go left. And they'd be like, okay, all right, that's the role playing that we're getting. We're getting the character now. Fuck, we're going right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you think this way? We're doing the other one. Yeah, yeah. because you brought you, you brought your version of role playing, which was latch onto a single character trait. You didn't do it to death, right? But you were able to connect to that character in a unique and interesting way that was more than just mechanics on paper, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my hard time with it is because I'm used to being involved in every aspect of it, DMing, it's really hard to sit there for 20 minutes and not yeah. do something. Uh, that, that's my... Oh, fuck, it's right. so hard. And, like, too. keeping my hands busy is the hardest thing to do. And above the table as well. Well, I mean, Dan sits beside me. So, um, Terry, how do you interact with other players to enhance your own personal experience at the table and theirs? You just talked about Brad, right? How do you go about... Interacting with people. Yeah, see, now this could be a very difficult question to answer because everybody has different things, different personalities, different things that they're looking for. Um, but what is universally true for human beings is we are, we're, this is, I, I was about to say it's proven. I don't know if it's proven. It's in a book. <laughs> Ter- Terry's about to prove it. As, as human beings, we are most happy when we overcome difficult things together. That's when human beings have this sense of, of true happiness. And so whatever the challenge is, I would say just lean into that. That's how Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves ended up together at the end of Speed. (laughs) I hear it's never a good idea. (laughs) Sandy B always brings it. (laughs) Uh, But whatever the challenge is, or or, or whatever is is happening, it, it was a little bit my last answer as well. Just lean into it and overcome that challenge together because you will have an increased sense of fulfillment. The opposite of that is you could not do that and you could not be engaged and you can sit there by yourself and you tell me how many human beings are happy when they're sat by themselves. Mm-hmm. Not many. Some for a short while. I'm included in that. But ultimately, we want to overcome difficult things together. So do that with the team. Um, yeah, to, to build on that a little bit. That's one thing that I watched Dan do in the early days. Because he was up, uh, he was playing with a brand new table of people. You and uh, Megan, um, mm-hmm. even before Megan joined. Um, Jamie was at the table and Jamie mm-hmm. needed the spotlight. He was a barbarian. Dan had been a barbarian for the last like 10 years, right? He knew the right way to play a barbarian and then watched Jamie take two levels of sorcerer and cast spells the entire time. He, he got in the car with me because we used to carpool and be like, that barbarian didn't rage for the last three sessions. I don't know what the fuck is happening. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> but one of the things that he started to do was he would find out whoever Jamie was attacking. And because Jamie was button heads a little bit with Dan, Dan would go grapple them and hold them still so that Jamie could get the kill, right? So he was very much engaged, and we are going to get through this together, Mm -hmm. and you will get what you want out of this because I I can compromise on that. And I don't know if Jamie ever figured that out, but, like, it was cool to see that in in play for a while. Dave? Oh, gee, I don't know that I actually do. You don't know that you interact with other players to to have fun? I, I, I mean... I mean, you and Dan like to kiss... I mean, we throw cookies at each other across the room, but like that's not really engaging in the in the like. I, I do. You're f- not the role player. No, I'm not. I'm, this is a bad question for me. I don't have a good. I don't have a good but, answer. But even mechanically, when do you do you consciously not go for the kill to let someone else get that cathartic moment? Do you uh, suggest, hey, I'll give you a boost so you can climb up and explore this area? Depends what kind of character I'm playing. 
Uh, if I'm playing the Barbarian, no, I'm going to go get that kill. If I'm playing the Spellcaster, I'm going to cast my spell. I'm, if I'm a support character, I'm going to support. I'm going to fill the role and be true to my character, and that's just it. You know, being dependable and reliable and doing the same thing over and over again is in itself a way for the others to understand the game that they're playing a little bit more. Look, when I'm running around, when I was running around as Enthos, being the barbarian lion guy throwing an axe at everything he could find and punching gelatinous cubes, there was no expectation that the other players were going to be there to heal me, to help me, and to move on. So, I mean, one of the best things I did was be self-sufficient. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I allowed them to focus on them and me to focus on me. Um, yeah, one of the things that I like to do, and this is such a subtle thing, but I've had a number of new players over the last few years that that don't know what they're supposed to do as a character. Like, hey, I'm playing a cleric, but I don't want to heal people. I'm going to play a death cleric. What does that look like? For an experienced D&D player, you kind of have a handle on that. But for a new player, what does that look like? Right? They, they may not know. So as a dungeon master, um, but I mean, players can easily do this as well. I would take time out at the end of every session to say, that was really cool when you did this thing. I really like that. And we used to hand out inspiration. Uh, we still do. Where we hand out uh, inspiration die. And now we just give advantage on yeah. something. But like, hey, you did this really, really well. Here's a little reward for it. And it kind of nudges people in the right direction. And uh, do you still do that in your... Give inspiration? Yeah. I do, technically, but I always forget. <laughs> I always forget. People wrap up, we're going home, who needs a ride? And I just I forget. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not against it. I just am unreliable. Do you have uh, one piece of advice that you can give players about conflict resolution? Terry, I know you have 15 pieces of advice. For 15 yeah. <laughs> for conflict resolution? Um, if you have conflict at the table, it is not a D&D or even a DM problem. It is a, it is a people problem because you can have conflict anywhere. Uh, and so there are two things that you need to determine. What is the minimum possible outcome that will satisfy each individual who is having the conflict? And who is the player that is not conceding ground? Because they are the problem. Yeah. They are the problem. And uh, and that is where you need to address anything else. If you don't know what the minimum thing is and you don't, I'm determined who is the person that will not concede ground, you are just going to go in circles. Uh, now, I'm not going to give you the whole advice about how to uh, resolve an entire conflict. It depends on the people. It depends on a whole bunch of variables. But those are the two, those are the two things you need to determine. Um, the minimum requirements for each person and who is not conceding ground. Dave? Communicate effectively and get your... Make sure that your expectations are clear, right? When, when, like Terry said, that you find out what that minimum requirement is, make sure that those expectations are clear, right? That's what it all comes down to. People if, can't fix a problem if they don't know there's a problem. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Don't let it stew. Don't let it boil over. If it, if you're annoyed and you can get over it, then get over it and move on. But if it is going to be a problem for you, address it. Like, yeah. it's, we're adults. Do it. People don't want to. Conflict is uncomfortable, but it will not go away. It will only get worse. No, especially when you've got, I mean, four to five people, or more even, sitting around a table coming from very different backgrounds and walks of life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my big thing, and we always say in the podcast, tell the truth, look them in the eye, deal with the uncomfortable conversation. We just did that in episode 200. We all had to deal with the uncomfortable realization that Dan is leaving, and we're going to make it super uncomfortable for him. But we, we all sat down and told the truth, and it was vulnerable and weird. And we'd never done that before as a group. Um, I've never done that as a person. <laughs> well, quite often when, but, when any of us get together, we have a purpose when we get together. We're doing the podcast or we're playing D&D &D, yeah. or we're doing a th we the, there's go a goal to movies yeah. or escape rooms yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. But uh, one of the things to, to keep in mind, it's not just 
telling the truth to the to the person that you're having the conflict with. Stop talking to other people about it. Stop trying to get people on your side. Stop making this a group issue. One of the big missteps that you and I had, Terry, um, and I think we were both in the wrong, but I mean our whole group was, there were seven people around the table and we were having problems with one of them. And if they left, then another person would leave as well. And we had a secret chat on the side about do we kick them out? And it became so fucking high school. We ended up lying. Oh, all of our lives are really busy. We're not playing anymore. Did not fool them for a fucking second. We should Jesus. say this is not anybody that any of us has interacted with for like seven years now. Yeah. Or something. So if you're at home thinking, was that me? It was not you. It was you, Megan. <laughs> so no, the, <laughs> the, uh, we, we decided to draw lines in the sand and figure out who our allies were. And we didn't all know each other that well. We were still kind of That was the problem. Everybody was new to each other. Or most yeah. people were new to each other. And so we were trying to get a feel for who's right and who's wrong. If we, had, if someone had just stepped up and said, hey, this makes me uncomfortable or I need you to stop doing this or could you please, we might have been able to continue playing with seven people. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with how it worked out. No problem. But I do look back at that and, be, and I think, you know, that was, that was a shitty way to go about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and who, did we make you? No, we made Jamie do it. We made Jamie break up with him and pass the message. I think he just did it. Uh, he was sick and tired of us. That's one thing I'll say about Jamie is uh, he was a blunt instrument, but he was effective. Yeah, and I I remember that because I was fairly new to D&D and everything at the time. And to touch on some points we've raised today, it was like, is this what it's like? Is this just what normally happens? Is this, I don't really know these people. Like, I yeah. don't want to get involved in games, all of that stuff. And they were hosting time. at the time, too. Like, it was, we had a couple of, that was, it was yeah. messy. Are they weird? Are we weird? Let's, <laughs> let's all be weird together. Um, I want to talk really quickly about game responsibilities. Um, outside kind of the meta perspective, a lot of this stuff should be covered in Session Zero. But if you have not discussed this with the other players or with your DM, or they've not discussed it with you, it's time to stop and confirm. Um, I'm just going to go through the list really quickly because it's pretty straightforward. Um, confirm that everyone's on the same page and no one is getting um, annoyed or feeling taken advantage of. Uh, the first one is scheduling and communication. You are a player, and that means that you have enough intelligence to do basic math and string sentences together. That means that you can figure out scheduling and communication that doesn't need to land on your DM shoulders. It should not be up to the Dungeon Master to say, this is when we are available next. It should not be up to the person necessarily who is hosting. Hey, are we playing at my house on Friday? We should get together as a group and say, I'm available to play at this time. Who else is? And work it out from there. Otherwise, people start to feel put on the spot. I know you can't play D&D without a DM, but you can without other players. But that doesn't mean that the DM is responsible for organizing who's getting rides and and who's going where. Um, The next thing is session prep. If you need to level up at the end of a session before the next time you show up, fucking do it. If you uh, lost your D4 in a fit of rage, go out and buy another one before your magic missile gets cast the next fucking time. Like... There are some things that you need to do. If you say, hey, we're going to do shopping midweek. I'll see you guys next Sunday. Do the shopping. Sit down and figure it out and send your DM a message. Here's the gold that I spent and this is what I picked up. Let me be very specific about these couple of points just right here. When my player shows up and they haven't leveled up when they have, they've been waiting weeks to level up, but they show up next time and they haven't done it yet. Or they don't have dice. Or, you know, something like that. They're just unprepared. Let me tell you, I have spent hours going through the book to get ready for today, and you couldn't spend 10 minutes to level up. Leveling up is so easy in 5th edition. It takes 
no time at all. It's it, easy now. It's it, easy because of technology. Because like D and D Beyond is stuff. You do sure. it three minutes. I know it's yeah. so fast. There's no excuse not to. If you show up and you haven't done it yet, that tells me that you're not engaged. You're not having fun. Why am I wasting my fucking time? I would counter that. Being a person who has failed to level up in the past, people are fucking busy. They have it. Absolutely. This is. This is it is a problem when people don't do that, but it doesn't happen often enough that it needs to be an issue. It doesn't automatically need to be a conflict. This is their break away from their fucking minute-to-minute schedule, 100 miles an hour, six days a week, some people, and sometimes they just genuinely forget. And they're like, fuck. However, if they do that all the time, they are now telling you that you are not a priority. Yes. Every now and then is absolutely okay. Shit happens. Yeah. Life happens, right? But if it's a constant problem, man, come on. Are we just doing this because we've been doing it and it's comfortable? Or are we doing this because we're having fun and actually want to do this? The next thing to bring up is food and snacks. Who's bringing what? Oh, right? fuck. And I'm terrible at this. This is... Yeah, I, I, uh, I will grab two bags of chips from the gas station on the way there. And that is my contribution every week. And it's bad. Right. But, like... Some people spend money. We've had fucking veggie trays and like bread bowls with like artichoke dip and shit show up. There are some people that are spending 30 bucks every week on this and other people that show up empty handed, you know, strolling in with their monster energy drink and that's it. Yeah. And like, fuck guys, come on now. You got, you got to pitch in. That has to be a factor here. I know. Um, part of that is also if you're getting a ride, when was the last time you paid for gas? Maybe pay for double the gas and don't worry about the snacks because you clearly don't have a car. Whatever it is, communicate, work together, come up with a, with a solution. And when shit gets tight because rent went up and, and your wages didn't, communicate with the group. Don't be stressed every week about it. There's no shame in saying, hey, shit's a little bit tight. I can't buy gummy worms for D&D this week. Like, fuck, come on. So um, the next thing that uh, everyone should be aware of, and I have pretty strict rules at my table, although I've relaxed them recently, is uh, technology and distractions at the table. I know that Dave and Dan need their phones in their hands. Um, I Do you know- let people use D- uh, D&D Beyond on their phones? Not D&D Beyond because I... <sighs> Way back when, D&D Beyond had misinformation on it. Mm. I have not personally confirmed that that kind of shit has been fixed. Although everybody tells me it's way better now. But better is a sliding scale and not an absolute. And so I don't like it. I don't want conflicts and rules, interpretations and shit. So I don't like online. If it's in a book, it's in a book. Um, If it's going to take too long for you to look it up, write it down ahead of time. Like Dave does. He prints it off. And again, you only have to do this once. That's it. Go out and buy the spell cards. Go out and, and buy recipe cards and write that shit out, right? Mm-hmm. Like I say, Dan keeps his character sheet on his tablet now because it's easier for him. He has so many spells and he's changing shit all the time. He'd be printing off a new character sheet halfway through every session. So so it just makes sense for him. But, I mean, there's no reason for a fighter at my table to, like, not just be able to write it down in their in their notebook. Yeah. Um, which brings into the next thing, notes and recaps. Who's taking notes? Who's in charge of doing a recap? I know that some people like to give out rewards. Hey, you get a bonus inspiration if you do the recap at the beginning of the session, but that just turns into one player always doing it and always getting a bonus. And that feels kind of shitty. Some people like to rotate around. I make it a group thing. and My, my players are pretty good about keeping notes um, until they're fucking not. You guys suck at Call of Cthulhu. Oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible. But it's... It, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about me. It's because I'm too in the moment, engaged in this. Yeah. What's everybody well, doing? That's, that's where Kyle thrives, right? Is, yeah. He's always, right? He's but, the best note taker I've ever seen. And he's happy doing it. And we've just 
landed on that. And when Kyle's not there, Dave usually takes notes. Um, but, but it is important that we have that basic understanding. If you as a DM are putting really granular clues and minutiae into your shit and then getting pissed off that nobody paid attention four weeks ago. Oh, but that's why when I do my recap, I start off, okay, guys, let's go to our recap. Player A, we started here last time. What happened next? And then we walk through it. And I go, okay, yes, that all happened. You forgot about this. Yeah. You forgot about yeah. this character. This is his name. And I, I filled in the blanks. But that's my job as a DM now to fill in those blanks. What I'm saying is the players need to be able to fill in those blanks as well. That's part of the player engagement and responsibility that they can they can do. So we can get to the game faster. Nobody showed up for a two-hour session to spend half an hour recapping and going through. Did how many How many potions did we use? Sure, but as a DM, you have to be aware that that little Easter egg that you dropped, that little piece of information that is very important that they didn't pick up on, you're going to have to... You have to circle back and make sure they got it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last thing that I want to bring up is post-game conversations. Like I say, um, handing out inspiration is good. People like to um, like to give out little rewards at the end of sessions. And, and there used to be a... Everybody gets experience, and this is what I really liked, and it's usually up to the DM to give that, that kind of lead that conversation. I don't give out inspiration anymore. I make my players give it to each other for bonding purposes. So That's good. So uh, it takes the weight off me. I have ten times of shit to pack up at the end of this session. You guys fold a binder and walk away. Yeah. Right, so take half a second and talk to each other at the end of the game. It also lets me, as a DM, keep half an ear on what did people like. So now I know what I'm doing for my prep next week, right? So this is good to have the post-game um, conversation. But players, please remember the DM put in hours of effort to put this shit together. And they probably got no feedback besides, that yeah, was good. It was a good session. Oh, fuck. I need more than that. You got to give me something so I have somewhere to go mm-hmm. later, right? I'm 30 sessions into this campaign and I have no idea how Brad feels about it, right? He's just... Seems to be having fun. Says, yep, that's good. But I don't want to have to hand out a questionnaire at the end of every tier to figure out, you know, how do we feel, right? So communicate. Tell your DM what you liked. Tell your DM what you didn't like. Um, but do focus on the positives as well. DMs work fucking hard. So um, if you're listening to this and you have not given a shout out to your DM recently, send them a message and say, hey, that was a great session. They would love to fucking hear from you. Let's grab dice and roll again. I have more questions. Okay. 13. Oh, I got the 19. But I got three. You got a three. All right, Dave. All right. Have you ever had a responsibility thrust upon you because you were the dungeon master? Always. What? Uh, every time my player has a problem with another player, they'll try to bring it up to me first. I mean, I play my Thursday group is what I'm talking about. And we have all been friends for 20 years. Easy. And uh, Kyle and James are in that one now. Right? Yeah, I guess James I've known for 20 years. But like, yeah, Kyle and James and... Anthony and Guppy. We had a couple other players recently. But uh, one of the players, she did so much work outside of the game. She worked so hard to learn the system, learn the rules, and be there and ready. And it just wasn't working. And everybody knew that she was working twice as hard, if not harder, than everybody else. Uh, but it still just wasn't taking. And it was really slowing us down. Everybody knew it. It was the undiscussed thing at the table. And it was kind of... After sessions, I would get private messages from a few players like, hey, you know, what can we do about this? What, like, how can we do this again? And then we have to, you know, have another conversation. And well, it's like, guys, you guys are the one having this problem. Like, 
I brought up the idea of maybe you guys all need to mentor each other because I thought that maybe if one person's unavailable, you could play their character for them. You understand a little bit more, and now you know how their stuff works. That way, when it's their turn and they're fumbling, you are naturally there to help them. You know this too, right? That's something that you can do as a player to help another player, but that never really worked out. I mean, I just, I had so many, well, how do we do this? Well, how do we do this? Guys, this is simple conflict resolution. Just do it. You guys know how to do this. You don't need me to do it, right? Like, that's, that's, what are, as the DM, oh, well, where are we playing this week? What? We were talking about it. Like, yeah, what, you, what you tell mean? me. Yeah, I, I, it's not up to me, right? That's, that's my big thing. Um, I spend, I don't know if anybody listening knows this, but I spend at least an hour every week purely on scheduling for the podcast. I also spend about 20 minutes um, every month purely on scheduling for my D&D game. And 20 minutes for the Call of Cthulhu game that I run. And 15 minutes working out when the acres free so we can do the one-on-one game that we play mm-hmm. online. I spend so much fucking time looking at calendars and schedules and who's free, who can give rides, who's available for this and that, what time are we starting, can we go a little bit earlier, can we go a little bit later. We can't record tonight, so we'll go on Friday. Sorry, Call of Cthulhu, we're canceled this week. Oh, for fuck's sakes, it's so much effort when anybody else can look at the calendar and say, hey... We haven't recorded these episodes. Hey, I really want to play this week because I'm not available next week. Somebody else pick up the calendar and take that shit off my plate. Right? There's no reason that I have to do that. Terry? Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I see what both you guys are saying. My example of when I've had to put on it would be the conflict resolution one. It's a pretty common one, probably the most common one for DMs. Uh, but when it comes to the other things with the scheduling and, and whether it's scheduling, whether it's snacks, whether it's anything we've mentioned today, my pushback or my or my counter to it is that the DM is in a is is viewed as being in a leadership position for the game, and so when it comes to boundaries, roles, and responsibilities, if they have not been necessarily made clear, the default is often to defer to the DM, and it can quite often be not because you're trying to be an asshole. It can be because you you don't want to be an asshole. You don't want to start doing things and doing things by yourself. Or, or maybe it seems that, you know, the DM runs most things. I should probably at least consult them if we're changing schedules or if we're doing this or doing whatever. Uh, and so my point is, it's not necessarily a conflict if these things come up. It may just be that you're on a, a different page. So so we get in the habit uh, in, in D&D if we go straight to conflict resolution. We go straight to now, this is an issue. But it's not necessarily. It might just be revisiting expectations. Way back in the day, like original D&D, AD&D, even 3.5 for some people, you played when the dungeon master said, hey guys, I've prepped the next dungeon. Now it's ready to go. Who's available this weekend? Right? And you are relying on the DM to do the prep and communicate when they're available. That may still be the case. But... It super fucking doesn't have to be. Anybody can 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 pick this up and and run with it. It we have Discord, we have uh, Google Drives, we have Google Calendars. We can all work together on this shit to make um, availability or or who who bought snacks last week? Whose turn is it this week? Right? If that's the thing that that's becoming a, a an issue that people get stuck on, um, I really really want to encourage people to think about the dungeon master is supposed to be the referee not the coach not the manager not the owner they're the referee so for the six of you out there that understand sports analogies choose somebody else (laughs) to be the owner the manager or the coach when it comes to in-game play or getting the players ready to go for the game right um dave if you can't reliably provide rides or snacks 
What else can you bring to the table to support your friends? You know what's a really simple thing that I always have? That I almost always Damn. use? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a better answer. Uh, I was going to say an extra pencil. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I show up to my sessions. I've got four pencils. I've got a pencil sharpener and two erasers. And you know what? I often will end up giving some of those out to somebody else. Often, Dan will just reach over and grab the pencil sharpener. You've given me a pencil before. It's happened. Yeah, I have. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and it's just, it's second nature. They just, they reach and grab it. And that's great. I'm fine with that. I love it. Don't touch my fucking dice. Yeah. But they're in there too, right? Like, so it's fine. That's, it's those little things. It's, it's uh, my people at my table know that I'm going to be dependable for that little thing. It's something they don't have to worry about, right? You don't always have to be the guy spending money on the game to be the dependable one. You don't have to be the guy driving the car to be the dependable one. You can just be there and know your stuff and have supplies ready, right? One thing that I saw on uh, Instagram, this a couple of years ago now, that I thought was really cool is there was somebody who felt like they weren't contributing enough um, financially to the game. They weren't able to. So what they would do is between sessions, they would sit down in Hero Forge, like a lunch break or whatever, and they would build an NPC and, and take a screenshot of it and send it out to the group. Hey, look, I built this person, right? Or, hey, DM, what's an NPC or a monster that you want? And they would go out and they would find cool art and make it available. I think that's really neat. I think that's that's a level of engagement that a lot of people don't think about is that that extra visualization that you can bring to the table. If you can't make the meta conversation easier for people, you can make the in-world conversation easier for people. Yep. Um, and something as simple as, um, hey, do you guys, I've got a printer. I don't have any cash, but I got a printer at work and they don't care how many things I print out. Does anybody need me to print out spell descriptions, right? It's that kind of consideration for the other people around the table um, that really matters. Or uh, selecting music to play. A lot of people like playing with music. Mm-hmm. Um, helping the DM find fucking battle maps if you're online, right? Because there's a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of shit out there, right? So these are things just putting that little extra bit of effort in. I know that Brad kept a wiki for the longest time for his campaign. Yep. Based on everything that happened in the previous Like Chewbacca? Uh, <laughs> yes, Terry, like Chewbacca. <laughs> oh, sorry, my turn. That was it, that was my joke. <laughs> uh, this wouldn't be a tough one in the sense that um, everybody considers what it is to be a team player differently. Yeah. Right? I'm a motherfucker forgetting to bring snacks and Call of Cthulhu, and one day I'm just going to drop 50,000 bags of chips on you guys and, <laughs> and be like, I'm so sorry, my main priority is getting here on time. <laughs> and that's, that kind of fits in with my point is you could have a conflict where someone says, hey, you never bring snacks, and the person could say back to them, well, you're never here on time. I'm always here on time. Yeah. You're always half an hour late. And But the, either side is considering their thing to be the important thing. Uh, you know, some people can't afford minis, but they'll paint the minis. Uh, some people can uh, can do character art. Um, you know, some people uh, they can't afford snacks, but they can host. Or they'll give the DM a ride. I give uh, I give one of my players a ride every week. Um, so it's just really about trying to find something or seeing what the expectation is for the table. Because you may do something that you think is providing value. Maybe the DM likes it that I get there on time most of the time, but the other people probably don't give a shit. Uh, and then just seeing what you can give. And it's going to be different for every table. There's no go-to answer. But try and find a gap. See if it would be valuable if you can fill that gap. And then fill that gap if you can. You know, one thing that we do in our group on Thursdays, we run it on Roll20. Even when we're in person, we'll have a couple of laptops open uh, running Roll20. So we've got the battle map. It's just easier. We paid for the module in Roll20. It works. It's great. Uh, however... Fun fact, you can actually gift credit on Roll20 to people. 
Now, for me, I'm the DM, so uh, when we were starting the the campaign, I bought it, okay? But I wasn't the one that paid for it. My friends went on and gifted me credit so that I could do that, and I pay every month so that we have um, the expanded features in it. Well, you know what? If you just send your DM ten bucks a year, even hey, right? that's gonna look. That's gonna pay for your monthly Zoom subscription, right? Like that's again, that's all you got to do. You don't have to be the one bringing snacks every time. Just you know, uh, hey, I got an extra twenty. I know you put a lot of work in. Thank you. Hey, you've got 400 minis and I know you want more. Here's 20 bucks. Go buy three more, right? Like that. You can get three for 20 bucks now? Wow. (laughs) Prices came down. Oh, no, that's to buy the baseball bats. You can mug the kids to get their minis. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, How do you handle someone who's being a distraction? Um, As a player, not as a dungeon master, how should a player handle another player as being a distraction? uh, Honestly, my go-to is to not make eye contact with them. Uh, Often... Dan and I, we play the game together, and even if we're not sitting beside each other... You're playing slap and tickle. Yeah, we're, we're kicking and, you know, rubbing feet under the table together or something, but um, it'll be often we will have a little joke or we'll make eye contact and, like, you'll say something and we'll just look at each other and take it out of context and giggle quietly, and it, it's a distraction. It clearly is. So I will just turn to look at exactly who is speaking and make sure that that person isn't Dan. Uh... I mean, that's what I do when, I, when I'm... I don't do, look at them. Do not give that distraction the, the attention that they're clearly craving in that moment. Exactly. If they're, if they're a distraction, that's a, there's a reason. And that reason is probably because they're bored. And they're trying to find entertainment somewhere else. Don't give them that entertainment, right? Um, I am very, very upfront when someone is being a distraction. I will look them square in the eye as a DM or a player. And I will say, are you done? And I have twice had people say, nope. And keep going and go, all right. And I will just not take my fucking turn until that person is done. Was it Dan both times? <laughs> uh, it was you once, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> um, Terry? Yeah, I think Adam, you had, a great, you had a great point there. It's just you just have to address it. It's again, this is not a D&D problem. This is a people problem. Yep. Okay. Are you ready? Is what I say. Are you ready? And I, when I DM, I get excited quite often. I will stand up. Yeah. And I will just stand at the end of the table. I play like a, on a boardroom table, and I just stand at the end. And flop I'll, little Terry out onto the flop table. Flop little Terry out. <laughs> He's average size Terry. <laughs> <laughs> flop slightly above average size Terry out. And uh, and and I won't I won't be uh, adversarial with it or aggressive with it. But I will just wait and then go. Are you ready? If it keeps going, you kind of have to escalate, and then you'll I will reset the expectation. We won't be able to continue until everybody's ready. Are you ready? Because I've set that expectation out now. Because sometimes people just, sometimes there's just too much going on. And yep. people need two forms of stimuli at all times. I'm terrible for that. I, I will like listen to something and watch TV at the same time. It's the worst. I've got to stop. And, um, and honestly, like even for me, when I say, are you done? A lot of the times it's done with passive aggressive, like, come on, man, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Thing. But when we played with Justin, he was often having to take work calls and shit while we're in the middle of playing. And that, are you done, was a legitimate question. Like, are you able to do your turn now? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then we will pause and walk away because I'm not going to interrupt our flow every 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt it once for 10 minutes and then move on and play the rest of the night. Yeah, and you can escalate it again, kind of what you just said there, Adam, which is like some words along the lines of, hey, something seems to be distracting you. It seems like you need to do something. Do we need to take a break? Yeah. Do we need to take a break? And then go back to, because we won't be able to continue until everybody's ready. Then you're not being aggressive. You're just laying an expectation out. That's it. When I used to smoke, it was always like, all right, guys, let's get up. Let's go stand outside for 10 minutes and let's come back. It was 
I had entire D&D sessions, which were just us outside smoking. Yeah. Um, no dice were rolled. Um, do you have any tips or tricks for note-taking? You're one of the better note-takers. Honestly, I just do point form, and I try to pick out the words that are important. Yeah. I don't worry about writing it and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's all in my own chicken scratch, so good luck. You might be able to read it. My printing's not that bad, but um, it's all going to make sense to me. But it's it's all very... Taking college notes. If <laughs> I never went to college, but I take pretty good college notes, right? It's the same kind of thing. Hit the key points, underline the things that are important. And I mean, I use point form and I, I tab over a spot when I'm taking notes because I do all of my D&D with pen and paper. I very rarely use the computer for anything except the map for Roll20. Yeah. But Did you just uh, said the computer. The computer. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. D- Dave, Dave might be the most computer illiterate person That's I have like met. That's like what my nan said. Okay, <laughs> I, wa- I want you to understand. Um, Adam sent me a document uh, when we were doing the, the, um, the, the Christmas special. And it, sorry, no, it was uh, something else, but... I had to open up the document, and I'm looking at it, and he goes, you need to install Google Documents on your phone. It's like, I've had this phone for two years, and I've never had to use this before. Like, okay, I guess, sure, I mean, fine. Google runs my whole life. Uh, yeah, I can't, I cannot live without a Google Docs. And Google I mean, I use my Google calendar on my phone, yeah. but I mean, like, no, I don't. Computers, I get them, we, we, we get along, You but, recognize that they exist. Yeah, I just, I don't, I would rather write it out, and it's just easier for me to to do it this way. I'm used to my way and it's worked for me. Great. Moving on. I also, wish I, the world was still like that. And I find that if I handwrite it, I'll remember it better. Well, that's just it because it's, it's when, when I'm taking notes to record a session, uh, I'll, I'll look at it as soon as the breakdown's out. I will maybe look at it again a week ahead of time. And then I will sit down two hours before we record and I will sit there and I will read through what I have to read through and I will take point form notes. Uh, and that way when I'm talking, I'm just checking quickly at my notes Uh, And I've got my underlying thing, and I got the points that I need to make. And I just, I look occasionally at it and go from there. Like, it works so well. It's just the important things. I used to, I haven't done this in a long time, because I haven't been a player in a long time. But I'd go handwritten for all my notes as well. Um, But you can do this very easily on a Google Doc, um, or any sort of online tool, is I change the color if it's an if it's a proper noun, or if it's an item. Items in gold are in red, proper nouns are in blue, everything else is in black or pencil. Mm. That way I can, at a glance, hey, who, do you remember the name of the, yep, it's in, it's in blue, that it is, this is their first name, last name, they are a merchant, and they were a satyr. Done, right? Like, I don't have every little bit and piece there, but it, what was the name of the city? This village was located here, and, and we went in on this date. Like, the real important notes, I color code. Yeah. Uh, I am terrible at taking notes, not just in D&D, in life, in meetings, in everything. I'm terrible. I cannot I cannot write and listen and also be thinking about my input at the same time as well as trying to stay engaged. I, my brain just doesn't work out that way. I, I really struggle with it. Uh, like when it's, it comes to like meetings at work and stuff, I record them. I rely on transcripts a lot of the time. Uh, and so for me, for D&D stuff, I have to just record the essential information. I can write out detailed notes, but it will slow everything down. So for me, I often rely on other people's notes. I will make sure that my equipment is accurate, that I know where everything is in my pouches. I can give you all of the essential information you need about me. But if you need me 
to go back and look at notes about the dragon, Arothator, and his daughter, Aurora. By the way, they're both still working for uh, that guy, Abarax, over there. Blah, blah, blah. That information is not going to be there. Um, because it would, the trade-off will be, I will slow everything else down. So, how do you get better at notes? I don't have, uh, I don't have tips for you guys. All I can say is if you are bad at notes, like I am, make sure the essential information about your character is accurate. Hey, you know what? A lot of people are bad at notes, and that might be the most important thing, is if you just worry about your character, and don't write, okay, here's the thing, because your essential information, Terry, might be, um, red armor. Yeah. Okay. Please, please write down, I have put on the red armor. Wearing red armor, yeah, right. Like it, that's not enough because it will not make sense to you in four months. Yeah, right. If everybody takes a break for summer and you come back to it and you're like, I have, I have a name here. What does this name mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. So anything that anything was critical that you need to know or is about you or something, yeah, write that down. Explain it to yourself. Probably yeah. be quite forgiving if you're like that gnome we met in the last town. What was his name? He'll have a weird name. The DM will probably be like, I'll give Look, you his name. Yeah, your character would know this, so therefore yeah. you know this. Right? Yeah. Here's the answer. But you're right. Remember, where are those three potions? Where did you put them? Where are they? All that stuff yeah. is critical. Oh, another thing I thought was kind of important here is when you're taking your notes is I, I didn't even really realize I was doing this until I was thinking about it just now. Um, I shift my perspective on how I'm taking the notes on my Sundays. Uh, I am a, I'm a player. I am Dave. I am taking notes for the session. Next time when we get together, if anybody can pick up my sheet and read it and it makes perfect sense, when we do our Call of Cthulhu on Friday, I am taking notes as the character I am playing. I go, I, you know, dash, I went to Asylum, met with, you know, a couple of people, and like, it, it, the perspective changes. It becomes a journal entry. It, it really like does. And, yeah. But I find I miss a lot of information doing that way, doing it that way, because I wasn't there when James and Kyle were talking to the doctor in the other room. So I just, I don't have that information because I mean, let's be honest, I was probably not as engaged as I should be, but it, it's a different perspective of your notes. Make sure you're coming at it from the right point of view. We know that Kyle is the one that's going to be taking our notes, uh, on Fridays. I like how I'll take great notes, fine. Yeah, but Yeah, you get to sit back and relax. But on Sundays, you're the note taker. Yeah, and I gotta make sure that when someone looks at this, it makes sense to everybody, not just to my character, which is a big, big difference. Yeah. Um do you have a post-game tradition? Yeah, every time we're done. Uh it's I go home and I beat my dog. Oh sorry, I thought there was gonna be an N in the middle of the dog there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you beat your denog. Yeah, so my denog. Um yeah, at the end of every session. Like uh, carrying an actual play, you murder a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did, actually. It was a wolf. Close enough. Whap! <laughs> I tried to kill a dog. I tried to kill a dog. I stuck yeah. two javelins into a magical dog. Anyway. <laughs> uh, at the end of the session, it's verbatim. All right, guys, this is where we're going to end today. Anybody have any questions, comments, things that didn't make sense? Let's go from there. Yeah. And then we have that conversation. Hey, when we did blah... This happened. Oh, by the way, you wanted me to look up this rule. I did. Here's the result. We're going to do it this way moving forward. We just kind of have that moment to go back to kind of go over the things that were kind of left ambiguously through the session and get some closure on it. Uh, and then it's okay. Well, if nobody else, let's hand out inspiration. Uh, today we're going to do a D6. It was a really good session. Today was a really combat heavy session. I know you guys burned through a lot. Let's do D10s today. And then I'm going to sit there and I'm going to let them all compliment each other because you have to give the inspiration 
for something good that they've done, and you can't give it to the same person for the same thing. So sometimes it's, oh, you made a funny pun, you made a funny joke. Sometimes it's not. What about as a player? Anything after a session as a player? No. You just like we're done. I'm getting my car and going home. Uh, I like to sit and have that little recap. The the you know, oh, I really like the way you did that. I really like the thing you you know. If you're not talking about something somebody else did when you're putting your stuff in your backpack or folding up your binder or whatever, you're missing a real good opportunity to team build. Yeah, and that's really that's what we're doing here. Um, I have a I have a bit of a weird tradition, and again, I don't ever get to be a player. So, but my player tradition is is always afterwards um, is I eat a poutine after the session. I stop at a drive thru and I get a poutine. Which I think, <laughs> yeah, which I think you can only do in Canada, and I'm sure that I have more cholesterol in my system than poutine. Yeah, um, than is clearly healthy for an individual. However, I had poutine so long, but it is good. But, but next time you're a player and you're driving, can I get a ride? <laughs> Uh, I know, and here's the thing is because sometimes I'll drop off Charlie or, or whoever. I've often carpooled. But when I am by myself after the session is done, I stop. I get myself a poutine because it requires both hands to eat because you need a fork to eat that. And I sit in my car with the, like the radio off and I replay the whole session in my head to be like, what are the clues I missed? What could I have done differently? How did that get fucked up? What was the best thing that happened? So that I have an immediate... Like, it's good to watch the, the hockey game, but I also want the instant replay and, like, the the summary of the 11 o'clock news afterwards so I can, like, get the whole mouthful all at once. You ever go to a movie and then you no. go home and, it's, <laughs> and and you look up what the ratings were in the movie and how other people thought about it? No. A lot of people do that. Do you really think? Yeah, I don't give a shit what other people think about it. <laughs> uh, but like, I used to, I used to look up trivia for movies the moment I finished. Like, or what else did this director do? Just so I have more context, I get a, I get to relive that moment. I also love to rewatch the trailer after I've seen the movie. Be like, wait a fucking minute, that wasn't even in the movie. Yeah, this is so fucking out of context. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they spoiled it all right from the beginning. Right, like I often immediately do a revisit. After a game. Uh, and it helps me stay connected during the downtime. Terry, do you have a tradition? Well, it's not as in-depth as yours. I really went casual on this as I read my notes here that are terrible. I have just a big post-session poop. Let me just go back down to... Oh, I just skipped up. Goddamn Google. I literally wrote... See, I, that's why I don't use computers, Terry. That is not why you fucking know it. <laughs> What's your post-game tradition? I wrote, I walk my dog and smoke a joint usually, and then recount everything that happened to my girlfriend who is not interested. <laughs> That's what happens. But I DM mostly now. Uh, but what I do... No, in- but but uh, seriously, you do the same thing that I do. You get a quiet, reflective moment, yeah. play it all through your head, and then and and recap before the night is out, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but after, now that I'm DMing, I use the time immediately after everyone's putting their stuff away to get back on their side, to yeah. be back on their team. Remember, I'm not your enemy. Like I, And I learned this from you, actually, Adam, when you were stressed when characters were going down left, right, in oh, Chelsea. Fuck. I will join them in that. And I'll say, you guys are stressing me out with that. Okay, does everybody know what they're going to do for healing? They've just had an NPC that just got burned to death uh, by a r- big red. Uh, so it's like, okay, you guys, are you going to figure out what to do? Are you leaving the body? And I just try and get them thinking about that next session so they talk about it on the way home. I have five players and a sidekick at my table, and two weeks ago, or two sessions ago, rather, um, three of the players and the sidekick died, <laughs> leaving 
Only Dan and Megan, whose characters do not get along, is the only ones left with with no key points. Again, didn't among... they not get along in the campaign? Oh, it, it, three years, yeah, four years ago. It's a thing, yeah. <laughs> um, the monk with no no key points, the bard with no spell slots, and uh, and they had swords and one uh, healing potion, and the big bad evil guy was not dead yet, and uh, so they were chasing him down to finish that. And like we ended on that note, I cannot tell you, my blood pressure was through the. Fucking stressful. Especially people have bought Hero Forge mini yeah. and they've got they bought things on DZ Beyond and whatever. There's oh yeah, with, stuff. yeah. Everybody bought their shit to cosplay so we could take pictures, and then their characters died yeah. before we got to that. So Dave has a full lion costume he's never worn. <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so one of the most important things about in-game engagement is what you're doing in initiative. And the idea of understanding what goes into initiative. And a lot of people homebrew, you know, what can be done during a bonus action. What does it take to draw or or store a sword? Is it part of your movement? Is it part of your action? When do you get to do an unarmed attack um, as a bonus action? Right? There are a lot of bits and pieces that people homebrew. It is important to understand that, to set those expectations down, and to know what, uh, as, as a player, you need to know what the other players around the table are going to be doing. So that if the rogue is relying on um, on sneak attack and getting advantage, and your DM says, yes, we're playing the flanking rules, it's important for you to fucking know that. Mm. If the monk is always getting in a bunch of small attacks, and but doing consistent damage, but missing as much as they hit, but always getting attacks in, as opposed to the area of effect or the uh, that the wizard is hitting with, or the big damage the barbarian does, or they just completely whiff, and that's all, right? Who's taking damage on it? Understanding the ebb and flow of the initiative of your party is very, very important, and you need to understand your character's role. Now, 4th edition kind of uh, soured the Dungeons & Dragons community on the idea of roles because it leaned hard into it. Are you a skirmisher, right? That was a that was a big question that people had. Like, are you a support role? And your character fit into one of a handful of archetypes. Hard stop. The end. Your character is built to do this thing. The flavor might be different, but your character is built to do this one thing. We don't necessarily have that in 5th edition anymore. As a matter of fact... It's real hard to be a tank these days, right? You can get some decently high AC, but the bounded accuracy holds you back from getting insane, like you could in 3.5. And you do not have enough hit points to go toe-to-toe with a monster of equal level. No, of course not. Right. Um, But these guys that are coming at you with the multi-attack, you can't be a tank against a Merolith. They've got seven reactions. That was one of the hardest things for me to transition from 3.5 to 5th, is in 3.5, I was used to hitting and doing 600 damage. Now I'm used to doing a lot of damage one cut at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you get, you, you hit... More often, but we're not demigods anymore. We're we're superheroes, but we're not demigods. Yeah, right? like there was, uh, it was disgusting. It was broken, is what it was. I was reliably without rolling, doing over four hundred damage a round as an artificer, like level like eleven. Yeah, we did a one shot with against a kraken, and I had a player that could do over sixteen hundred damage in a round. How does that even happen? With some stupid math and things that they didn't think through. Right. Right. Like it's but and that's why there are power games. And it's a fun puzzle to do, but this is where Dave and Dan and James and I 
like that's where we come from is those days and we've all had to transition now into into bounded accuracy um understanding your character's role does your cleric heal does the bard in the party heal more than the cleric who is the healer does anyone heal or do you guys rely on short rests who is who's going to play a bodyguard who's enough ac who has more than a d8 for their hit dice and who has less than a d8 for their hit dice right these are questions that are important to know so that you know kind of what everyone else is expecting of you if you are if you are the bard or the monk you cannot be the the frontline fighter taking the brunt of the damage at level four you will die please tell my bard and monk that because they are always literally within the jaws of the monster Going, aha, I'm going to kill it. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. And we have, there's not been a session. There's rarely been an, a combat encounter in that campaign without somebody falling unconscious and doing death saves. <laughs> just because the idea of party roll does not exist. It was just pure chaos on the battlefield. People are getting used to it. And some people are better at combat tactics than others. But knowing kind of where you're supposed to be on the battlefield, if you are doing environmental casting like a druid or a bard or some wizards would do, that's going to be a whole lot different than the, than the sorcerer dropping fireball, right? If you're reliably eldritch blasting and you're using your repelling blast to push enemies away, don't push them away from the perfectly positioned road. Know their role and therefore you'll know yours. Um, and this directly leads into... Follow the plan. Whenever there's that opportunity, and I like to give my players the opportunity to kind of scheme a little bit before combat breaks out. Um, you do this, and I'll do this, and you run over and grab that, and then we'll all team up and do that. And without fail, without fail, second turn, not round, turn, in initiative, that plan is out the window, someone's changed their mind. If everyone agrees on the plan, follow the plan, right? Unless you turn to the others and say, guys, clearly they're about to escape through the portal, I have to go for the kill shot, is that okay? Right? Like, and... Like, the frustration on Terry's face and the amusement on Dave's tells you exactly the kind of players they are. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we were doing Call of Cthulhu and we summoned the train in front of Professor Smith's house. And we had, we like, we spent an hour and a half. It was a long time. We drew maps. We like, we set this up and like, it was all out the window in that two seconds. Actually, we stuck to it. Much better than I previously <laughs> But it wasn't that good. Like, by the end of it, I was still running blocks, like, running laps around the block the house well, was on. Well, we didn't plan that far out. No, like, no. We, we planned for, like, round one. I'm going to say it was a good plan. <laughs> just... It was good. But I played uh, with Dan, whom I love. Uh, but. Where he was the butt. <laughs> where I, as the, he was the fighter. I relied on his position for my sneak attack to be effective because he was up front. And funny that you mentioned a Merilith earlier. Uh, and he was running literally laps around the battlefield against the Merilith. I think was hiding in an outhouse at one point. Yeah. And I'm like, will you stand still? Because I need you to be in range with them so that my sneak attack will work. Yeah. That's So I can get my fistful of D6s. If you fuck off, I'm useless. And if I remember correctly, you guys got TPK'd because you didn't work together. That one ended yeah. up with Megan dying on top of a roof and you going up to save her and pulling body into the flames and you went down. And then Dan came out and had to solo the Merilith, which just had Acra then uh, just walking along behind the building going, I guess I'm going to die now. I'm just going to drop my biggest spells yeah. on this thing and fucking die because there's nothing else I can that do. That was a very stressful encounter. Yeah. yeah, but there was a plan and the plan disintegrated, yeah. right? 
Um, now, something that's a little bit more meta is uh, knowing your character's limitations as well um, and what knowledge that they would have or what decisions that they would make. And a lot of the times this falls into the, well, my character wouldn't do that for, like conversation, which is kind of shitty. You got to be really careful with that. But would your paladin really know the intricacies of how the key points work? Stop coaching the monk. Just because you played a sorcerer last campaign doesn't mean you get to tell this sorcerer how to play, right? And you may understand what the stat block is or what the resistances or immunities of this creature are because you own a monster manual, but your character doesn't. And therefore, selectively choosing not to use poison spray because it's a devil and you know they're immune to it is a shitty way of going about it, right? The, the encounter was balanced this way for a reason. Dan is actually one of the best about that because he will say, I have watched him burn cantrips usually to test out, oh, coal doesn't seem to be that effective against this troll. I wonder if fire will work. Hey, it worked! Like, he clearly fucking knows. Yeah, he knows. Dan knows all of it. Yeah, Yeah. but like, keep that in mind as a player as well, especially if you have new players at the table that don't know. Yeah. We have often laughed about how Dan goes, oh, is that a Garistro? As I like drop the mini on the fucking table. Everybody was like, oh my god, what's that? I was like, oh, it has 93 hit points. Fuck, Dan, Jesus Christ. There goes my sense of wonder. Yeah, Yeah. And, uh, and so be aware of that as well. What does your player, or what does your character see? Not what does the player know. Um, in initiative, there are different phases of initiative. Different things that you can do within initiative. Do you want to walk us through that? Within the turn are you referring yeah. to? Okay, as in that so when it comes around to your turn, you have your action. Yep. You have your bonus action. If you get one. If you get one. If you get one. You have a reaction. If an opportunity comes up that you can use something that you have a reaction for. You have an interaction. And you have a... There's a fifth one. Movement. Movement, of course. Uh, <laughs> and you you have a movement. Um, these could be done in any particular order. Uh, for the most part, you, if you wish to hold your action, you can't hold your movement. You can, right? you can hold only your action, period. Right, that's it. You can hold only your action, but not your movement. So you need to put yourself into the position that you want to be in uh, for when that action goes off. Um, reactions are done in reaction to something that somebody else is doing, so not necessarily on your turn. Uh, and a bonus action, when you have one, refers to a smaller action that you could do. Um, there's a lot of house rules around bonus actions as well. Yeah. Um, I try and lean into rule of cool. I don't want, especially if you're at a table where a person has had to wait 25 minutes for their turn. Yeah. Is this an action or a bonus action? If it's like picking up your sword as you run by, I will let you do that as a bonus action so that you can use your action to hit with it afterwards. Um, but uh, but yeah, those are, those are essentially the five phases of, uh, of initiative. The, the other thing that's worth pointing out is you mentioned interaction. Yeah. And this is one thing that we homebrew. I don't know if you know this is a homebrew, but the interaction of being able to interact with an item or rolling a skill check or um, communicating with another player this is supposed to just be built into your action and just general ideas as long as it kind of generally makes sense. It's not actually, I don't believe, listed anywhere in the official rules. I've always added it to encourage people to role play in the moment, to encourage you to think about your environment. And so when I sit down and teach someone d and I've taught a lot of people, I always say, what is the interaction as well? It's not enough to just, I'm going to rage now. Roar as you do it. It's not enough if you say, hey... Uh, I need you to go uh, next door and go get the, the great axe that I left on the ground over there and bring it back because I know that slashing damage works really well against this one kind of creature. 
and you're closer to the door than I am. So if you could go over there, but the door is locked. So go over to the road and get their lock picking tools for a moment. Uh, and then you can, you, you're talking too much. No, no, no. You have, you have six seconds. What did you get? Yeah, out it's, of go get my axe. Yeah. 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 Right. And so it's interactions within reason. Um, I will absolutely let you smash a window in the middle of your turn if it's cool. Or to jump on the chandelier, let it swing twice and then jump down, right? Um, so that you built momentum up. Like I say, rule of cool, interactions I don't think are used enough. And I think it lets people stay more engaged. I use them to um, stop people from coaching and to stop the table talk. Is that you get an interaction. That is when you can speak. Yeah. And then they will respond on their turn. And it actually helps me tighten up the table a little bit. too. That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one, Terry. That's a great idea. Um, do you, uh, plan ahead at all? Um, like when, I mean, you, I know you do, but like. Like tactically? Like, yeah. You mean? Uh, In yeah. initiative. Yeah, yeah. I'm paranoid like a beholder. Uh, when it comes comes, and and positioning an initiative is very important it should be important to everyone but it's certainly important to me i'm quite a counter attacker i like a lot of people to have their turn and i like the enemy to go before me so that i can watch things unfold and then i can do my thing i don't actually like going first or second and then being like okay what are these chuckle fucks gonna do now i like them to get get your bullshit out the way and then i know what i'm working with yeah yeah so um uh, yeah, planning ahead is uh, is very important. I try and center it around two things. Plan A for me is the objective of the combat is always what you should be geared towards. And then uh, plan B for me is my general role, which I am much better at now. You know, I've been the cleric that didn't heal that much. Uh, but uh, but now I, lean, I really lean into what my role is. But it always comes secondary to what is the main objective of the combat. Dave, do you... Uh, there are a lot of... Um options besides just swinging a sword or casting a spell in combat. Yeah, tons. Uh, you can do an unarmed strike. Everybody is proficient with an unarmed strike. You can headbutt, you can punch, you can kick, you can do anything. Has to be you doing it, but like anybody can. Uh, it's simple. It's proficiency. It's a strength-based check. It's a one plus your strength mod for your damage. If you can't figure out what you want to do, maybe that's it. Right? I love starting combat off with an unarmed strike. The headbutt to break their nose to start off initiative mm-hmm. is my favorite fucking move. Well, I mean, you, you DM'd for it. I was a Triton. I think, Terry, you were part of that as well. I was a Triton that, I was a barbarian that ran around punching things. It was great. It worked so well for me. She was great. It, well, your, your strength mod was through the roof too. So yeah. that, it was a reliable six damage instead of rolling uh, with a short sword and maybe yeah. getting, yeah. Uh, there's also opportunity attack. I love myself a good opportunity attack. We had, um, a lot of problems. People were, oh, well, you know, I, I, they get moved because of this spell and they want to take their opportunity attacks. Again, remember, they have to willingly be moving. Somebody tries to misty step, you don't get your opportunity attack. That's part of the thing, right? They have to be willingly moving themselves too. Like, for example, I don't know why you would do this, but if for some reason you're running an initiative, um, where a person gets on a horse, and the horse is in a different spot in initiative and moves. That person is not, like, it's not their turn. They're not moving. They do not get an opportunity. The horse does, but but the rider doesn't. Yeah, like, opportunity attacks seem very basic, but they can be quite complex. Uh, the other thing is, again, an opportunity attack is one melee attack. It is not cast a spell. It is not shoot with a bow and arrow. It is a melee attack. There are feats that allow you to do other things, yeah. but... That's the important asterisk beside it. 
I will allow someone to use like a hand crossbow to get that off, but I mean it's when they're adjacent and they move away and you're rolling with disadvantage. It's technically a ranged attack, but like I let that that quick pew. Yeah, well, but they've probably got the crossbow expert. I think yeah, it's yeah. the feat that allows them to mm-hmm. do it, right? Like, the, they, there are ways to do it, but traditionally yeah. not. Uh, one of the other favorite combat actions that I can never remember is, of course, grappling. Uh, I love grappling. It is sometimes yeah. used too much, yeah. sometimes used not enough. When you're the DM and you say, okay, I'm going to grapple you, it stuns your players. Like, what? You're grappling me? Stressful. Huh? What? And because they, they rarely think that it's an option, right? Yeah. Uh, with a grapple, though, you have to keep in mind, this is an attack, okay? This would take up your attack action. Uh, but that means that if you have multiple attacks, you can hit with your... If you say you got three attacks, you can hit with your sword twice and then grapple. It doesn't take your full action. And that's actually something I think I've been doing wrong at my table this whole time. Wait, stop. What? Yep. If you have a multi-attack, like if I'm a fighter and I have three attacks, I can attack twice and then grapple... Right out, sure of the, right out of the book. If you can make more than one attack on your turn, this replaces one of them. Shut the fuck up. So I hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to say though, this doesn't replace the bonus action attack that a monk gets. Sure. This has to be during the attack action because it's not like multi-attack where you get three different attacks as a monster. This is when you're using your extra attack as a fighter or a marshal or whatever. An extra attack is your action has multiple attacks within it instead of it being three different attacks. It is fucking nitpicky, but it matters for some so some if, spells like well, slow d- and haste. Me as the DM, if a monster... Okay, dragon. Dragons have multi-attack. Yeah. Yes. Does that mean I can do one bite attack and then If the grapple? multi-attack is two claws and a bite, yeah. you could do two claws and a grapple. No, no, you can't. Multi-attack specifically is a thing that you do and you have to do these... Okay, okay, yes, okay, that's true. So so it's players that multi attack is not extra attack. Yes, and okay. that that's why I I'm very clear about that. Um now I homebrew it so it absolutely fucking can. But rules as written, no, multi attack is claw, claw, bite. If it says two claw attacks and a bite, you do it whatever order you want, but that's how that's how it works. Because often it says you know, use your fear effect, whatever it is, and also two claw attacks. You can't replace the fear effect with the grapple. Or grapple, do the fear effect, and then attack. You can't do that. Like, it's not interchangeable. No, but you can grapple them, slam them on the ground, and then if you still have an interaction with an item, you can still... As a player. Tie them up. Yeah, as a player. Uh, tie them up real quick. Uh, the other thing with grappling you need to be aware of is that it applies to only creatures that are one size category... Higher or lower than you. Yeah. Um, which is great, but I think as a large creature, you should be able to grapple the fairy. But see, for that, that I just make them swish them. Uh, well, I would make them roll with a heavy, like with disadvantage and it probably. Has a, advantage. Yeah, yeah or, or like there's, it's skewed. I, I would probably let this happen though, right? Um, you also need one free hand. The attacker always uses uh, their athletics or strength uh, to make the check, and the defender always makes. It with either strength or dexterity, so athletics or acrobatics, they get to choose. And that is true for when they're trying to break the grapple later on as well. The attacker uses strength. The Remember, though, breaking that grapple takes your whole action. Mm. Yes, it does. Uh, also, if you have someone grappled, you can still move, but it it's at half speed. Yeah. Uh, I have used this to great effect, as I'm sure you'll remember, Terry, because I would then move towards the nearest ledge and turf him the fuck off the edge. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which brings me into another combat option, which is shoving. Uh, and shoving, I don't think, it used to be bull rush, I think. 
No, bull rush required you to charge. That's true. And you then charge. push. But shoving, uh, it's essentially the same as grappling. It's the attacker's strength against the defender's athletics or, or acrobatics. It works the same way. The result, however, is they get pushed back five feet or they fall down prone. The attacker gets to select. If or, someone goes over a ledge, do you give them a save? No. To grab the ledge or something? Okay. No, no, no. no. The, their save was don't get fucking grappled. Yeah, the, yeah. the save was the, the dexterity check, the acrobatics or the athletics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, but again, I don't think I've had a player try to shove anything during a during a session. Like, it's never come it's up. It's a forgotten thing. Right? But it's useful. Uh, you did talk about using an item. You can interact with one item on your turn. Uh, there is a chart in the thing about, you know, what kind of... Sorry, which thing? Oh, player handbook? Yeah, in the player, sorry, in the player's handbook, uh, page 190. Um, there's a little chart on the side that tells you, like, what's, what's a common interaction? You can put out a candle. You can pull a sword. These are free actions, I would call them. But in order to use them requires an action. You can blow out a candle, but you can't light a candle, uh, for well, free. Lighting a candle requires you to pull out the tackle box and open it up and pull the shit. Like, that's, that's more than what you can do with a quick. I was about to say, you can smash a window, but you can't close and lock it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but I mean, like, there, there is two sides of interacting with an item. There's, you know, getting the, the potion out of your backpack. That's free action. But drinking the potion is not, right? You don't get to do that as well. Well, you get to draw or stash one item for free as part of your movement, I believe. Right, and that is that is why consistently in my games anyway, uh, you'll see Charlie who loves his knives uh, is pulling out a knife and using it, and then wants a different effect from a different knife, so he'll drop the one he has and pull out another one because dropping is free; you're just opening your hand. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's not stowing it, so he drops it on the battlefield. Then he's got to go get it at the end of combat. That's the risk, right? So he's consistently stabbing and dropping and grabbing another one on the next turn, right? So it's always one per movement. And, uh, and I think potions are the same thing, although they might have special rules. It's been a while. Yep. Um, the other, you know, major thing you can do in your turn, I think we've actually talked about it all today, is skills. Like, you want to, you say you are not the frontline fighter and there's something going on, you want to do something else. Look at your skills. When you're trying to figure out what to do on your next turn, look at the list of skills in your character sheet. Figure out what's there and what you might be able to do with that. Because there could be some really cool stuff you haven't thought of. Uh, it applied, I think, a little bit more in 3.5 because there were more skills. It was a little more yeah. fleshed out. Uh, I like 5th better, but 3.5 had more. Y- you could do some really cool things, some incredible things uh, through your skills. And there was a skill for everything. Now they've streamlined it. Instead of searching and uh, listening and looking, like you have perception. Yeah. Right? They've, they've straightened they've streamlined it it all makes a lot more sense now one of the things sorry just really quickly because you're talking about the skills and whatnot it just occurred to me so it makes a point for rogues to say you can dash disengage or hide as a bonus action right everyone else can do that as an action and we all know that about dash and disengage anyone can hide as an action oh yeah if there's nothing for you to do this turn and that guy's a ranged attacker hide yeah it's a fair point or the help action yep Help works well as well. Uh, well as well. Do yes. you ask your players to at least say how they're helping? Yeah. Somewhat? Yeah. Yeah, it depends. If if they're trying to sit there and like pick a lock, how are you going to help with that? Oh, I'm going to verbally encourage them. Yeah, okay, that's not going to work. Yeah. Right? Like, you got, it's got to make sense. you got to hold the lantern up to the lock so they can see better or something. <laughs> sure, yeah. like, that's that's legitimate. But, like, figure out how you're going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't let them use the same help action 
two times in a row, right? No, you fail that first check. You need to change the conditions change, of yeah. what's going yeah, on in, in order, order to, to do it again. again. Yeah, Absolutely. of course. Uh, another big thing that we but, don't... But sorry, that's something as a player you can be engaged with when it's not your turn. If I want to give the help action, what is the most logical thing for me to do to do that, right? Like, yep. How am I going to get this across that I'm going to be helping or hiding or like, what's the thing I'm doing? Why do I try again now to... I, I tried to roll the athletics check last round. What conditions have changed so I get to do it again? Yeah, good point. Uh, the next part that I was going to gonna go over here was uh, spells and like w- what it takes to cast a spell. The most important thing when you're going to cast a spell is the casting time. You need to know if you're going to say, oh, I want to cast this spell and you look and it's going to take you a minute. Well, maybe that's not how you want to waste the next 10 rounds of combat, right? Uh, there are different times or casting times for different spells. Can be anywhere from a bonus action to a reaction, like counter spell, um, or we have ritual casting now, which just adds ten minutes to yeah. the casting time. Uh, it'll say right beside it in the description. It'll be like first level, uh, you know, conjuring spell ritual. It'll say right right there beside it. Um, the the ritual spells don't cost a slot, and again, all it really does is it takes ten more minutes. You're not going to be casting a ritual probably in the middle of combat. No, right. Uh, there although, are, although I've had combats where there's been someone trying to finish a ritual as they get attacked. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing is, oh, well, we want to rest here for the night. We're going to set up the, the, was it Lehman's Tiny Hut? Okay, well, you get ten minutes into the, or five minutes into the ritual, and all of a sudden wolves show up. What are you doing now? Yeah. You know, and, like, it's just wolves. They're going to get through it, but you kind of made them a little, you know, threw them a curveball, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big important part of spells are the... Um, the components to a spell. And I don't mean like the material components, although that's part of it. There's verbal components. There's also somatic verbal. You got to say it. If you can't speak, you can't cast the spell if it requires you to say it. You want to maybe, I know that Dan is really good at this. We keep talking about Dan. Um, it's like he was just here for yeah. some stupid reason. What a fuck. Let's uh, never mention him again. Excellent. Um, who was I talking about? Terry. Terry. So there's one thing that Terry does at the table is when he casts a spell is uh, he's, he has a word for it, and every time he casts that spell, he says that word out loud at the table, and he casts the spell. He does this. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's silly. I'm I'm bad at making up those words. I just uh, light. Uh, let there be light. You know, I try to have if fun with it. If it's not your turn and you are trying to be engaged, look up what the name of the spell is in Latin or in Swahili. There's your fucking magic word. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question on verbal component. Yes. In order to like unlock this magic from the weave or whatever, um, that like there's the the thing of like how quietly, how loudly can you do? It? What about if I do it underwater, where I am saying it and it's going wow wow wow, but I'm I'm saying it. Sound no. travels through. Water. No, if if you got a gag in your mouth and you're still trying to say it, does it work? No, no, no. So here's the rule that I really like for it, and I saw this online. I. And this is how I'll run it in the future, is you have a breath in your lungs. You absolutely can say it. But you know all of that, you can hold your breath a certain number of minutes equal your constitution oh, modifier yeah. and all that. That's out the fucking window. Yeah, that's start good. rolling. My right. second one was gonna be, what about if I say the words and I say it loudly, but there is a sound in the area which is louder than me? Oh like, no a sort of siren going off or something. No, because it's to it's, me it's, it's specific about being to heard, you. Right. It's not about what people hear, it is about you. Forcing through your willpower this out of your system. Right, okay. So much to your same point is that magical silence knocks that down. You cannot speak. They gag in your mouth. You cannot physically... I mean, 
And I think as part of the somatic components is what your teeth, tongue, cheeks, and lips are doing. Mm-hmm. Your vocal cords. That's part of casting the spell. If you can't do that, you're done. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Uh, with the somatic, though, all you really need is one hand free. It's, there's not really much else to it. Uh, but that being said, if your hands are restrained behind your back, you still can't, you can maybe move your hands and wiggle your fingers, but that isn't a, like finger wiggles is not somatic components. We're talking big arm gestures and things like that. If you can't do that, well, shit. That my means table, my table. I say you need both hands free. Uh, in well, rules is written, it's one. Oh, is it? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That way you can carry a shield in one hand and then cast spells with the other. If you have an arcane focus or, yeah, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, however, the other thing to keep in mind as well with that is that it has to be big enough that people can see. Think Doctor Strange, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's making big swirls and there's like sparks flying and like it's. It's a spectacle to unto itself. When you're doing this, people are going to be paying attention. Whether you're casting light or casting wish, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Your your somatic components are you blade singer should it should all be footwork, right? Like there there are all sorts of ways. I mean, I think bards makes the most sense for the verbal components, right? But for sorcerers, in my head, they're all doing fucking street fighter moves. So they're all hadouken, like both hands are uh, yeah pushed forward. And think about that. When you play a spellcaster, what does it look like when you cast a spell? And if you don't have an answer, you have your whole initiative to think about that shit. One of the things I like to do, I probably should have mentioned it before when it's not my turn, is I'm going through what's happened in the last round, and I'm making that a video in my head, and I'm watching that happen. And it's so entertaining. Especially when people crit fail. Oh, like the guy who we're not going to talk about? Terry? Yeah, Terry. (laughs) I do crit fail. Um... Yeah, it's worth uh, taking stock of your spell components and stuff as well. Um, and, uh, of course, marking off your spell slots. There's a lot that goes into casting a spell. Yeah, the, the material components are a part... Do you... I mean, I know you don't really make people do material components. I make people have an arcane focus or a divine focus. And other than that, if they don't have it for whatever reason, I'm digging into their components. Do you know, do you like the actual rules yeah. as written of it? So it's... Uh, in order to cast a particular spell, some spells, you need materials, right? Uh, that, we always say is back one on the podcast. It, you know what? That was actually one of the uh, examples I read, I think, in the book was back guano. You need that to do a thing. Yeah. Uh, but you need to have some of this on you. The If the cost is specified, you must have the item, okay? If it says you need a sprig of rosemary. And, yeah, that's fine. Oh, you can just have those. Uh, and you can use them again later. That's fine, right? Normally we get around this with an arcing spell focus, which is just an item or even a tattoo. We've talked about yeah. that plenty of times before. Uh, something in order to, to meet this requirement. But again, if it specifically has a cost, you need to have that item. When you're casting Resurrection, you need a diamond worth like 25,000 gold or something. You have to have that. Hard stop, okay? The other thing... If it says it will use up the item, you need to have that item, okay? Your arcane spell focus does not cover it if it requires it to be used, okay? So those are the the kind of the nitty-gritties about it. You can, however, use the same hand using the components as the somatic component. That can be one and the same. Yeah, like you're you're blowing the dust out of your hand, right? Sure, right? So there's... I think I used to do with Azrael, he would... Drink his, so he spit his holy water up or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. Um, 
Any anything else? The the last part again. This is something that I'm actually really not great at. You all have heard about it. You were there, Terry, on the uh, Christmas episode. The idea of concentration. Uh, I do not track. I, I do not concentrate on concentration well. Uh, my attention span is not great, and when I'm managing 16 things, concentration is not the thing on the forefront of my mind. Yeah, me too. I slip on that. Well, you never play Spellcaster, Dave. So, never, never. So why would you? Right? But uh, to be clear, concentration, um, it will appear in the duration section of the spell. It'll tell you whether you need concentration or not. Uh, and it can be broken by taking damage, being incapacitated or killed, and using another concentration spell. Hey, you want to know the thing that drives me absolutely fucking nuts when it comes to spell casting specifically? Is when it gets to your turn, you've been sitting there quietly for the last 15 minutes, it finally gets to your turn, and you say, is he within 120 feet? And you have seen the fucking map this whole time? Count the goddamn squares. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck off. We're going to stop combat so you can watch the DM go, 5, 10, 15, that's the second diagonal, so 25, 30. Yes, it's within fucking range. Jesus, do it yourself. Wait, wait. Why was that one? De- why was that one ten? It's yeah. the second diagonal. What's that rule? We've yeah. been playing for months. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's grab dice. I want to roll. Let's do it. I'm taking this one this time. I'm gonna take that. We've all swapped dice now. Two, seven. Well, I mean nine, I guess. Uh, who's the best in combat role player that you know, and what makes them great? Uh, uh, my favorite is always going to be Terry because he role plays the way through combat. Thank you. Yeah, I try. Yeah, like it, it is not enough. You do not swing your sword. You you raise your sword up high and bring it down at kind of this angle, like this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to hit him in the neck so that I'm gonna get him to go oh with the and you you like you are DMing your own turn. Yeah, I try to bring life to it a little bit. I've learned now not to don't take three minutes to do that, Terry. But you know, <laughs> like do it in six seconds. Well, yeah, I like to. I like. Otherwise, you're just going. Okay, six points. Would you do stab? Okay. Good. The, the other thing that you're really good about too is is when it hits your turn, you would say, "Okay, stand up, pick up your mini, move them four squares forward, and say, I'm going to go here so that I can use my sword to drive through the and like." I'm not sitting here going, now remember, you have movement. You've got a plan, you're ready to go, here it is. Right? Yeah. So, except when someone else fucks up the plan directly before you, and you go, well, fuck, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I hate that. Who, who got seven? Uh, me. Um, Who's the best in combat player? I don't want to boost his ego, but my player, Anthony. Uh, he plays our barbarian, uh, and whenever it's, he plays, his character's name's Ulfgar, when we get to him in initiative, it's Ulfgar, it's your turn, because we always call him by name. Yeah, yeah. Ulfgar, it's your turn, and he's immediately, <coughs> so I run over with my blah, blah, and he'll, he'll like, third person narrative, where Ulfgar runs over, but he's still using the Ulfgar voice, he's right. still role playing while he's doing it, uh, and he, and I swing my axe, and I make, you know, I, Rolls the dice, hit with a blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's... And what he's doing is he's making... He's forcing everyone else at the table to be engaged in his turn. Yep. Yeah. And I don't have to come up with ways to not be distracted if everyone else around me is in that moment dragging me in. Mm -hmm. That's another thing I'll give critical role. And I mean, they're all professional improvers, right? So... Yeah. But when one person does something, it is engaging enough that everyone around the table is like 100% engaged in it. Now, they're also getting paid to do that. But, and so there is that to keep in mind as well. But if you're not a role player, don't stress about it. If you like role playing, role play in combat. Yeah, that's a fair one. Yeah, you're right. It does make more people engaged. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a player at my table, his name is Eric. He plays... Sounds like a dick. 
<laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Uh, I've, I've never met him. I've no idea. He but plays, I fucking hate him. He plays a full orc, female full orc bard named Gruntilda, whom <laughs> is is actually famous in the game. We've made her character famous, and we kind of use the renown rules and the certain percentage of things. So people know her. And so she roleplays through combat very well, because she'll be going through the serial combat, whatever, and we'll get to somebody... And they might actually recognize her. And it's like, imagine if Chris Hemsworth was suddenly swinging a sword. You'd be like, what the fuck? And she plays it very well. <laughs> so she uses it for, um, she kind of has this challenge of where she tries not to engage in combat as much as she can. And will use things like uh, persuasion or intimidation or um, now not, it's not to dominate monster by any means, but it's, can I distract them to put the attention on me and away from that person over there? And we'll use things like that. And we'll roleplay, um, I keep wanting to say his, her. Character's female, he's male. But roleplay his way through it. And, uh, it's phenomenal. And it really is very engaging. Yeah. That's excellent. Like, um, does he, like, total sidebar, does he nail the female role? Like, a lot of people will play a different gender and it's cartoony and bullshit. Like, it is cartoony, but not for the female aspects, but because that the it, character it is itself. a famous orc. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Um, it's not insulting in any way, and half of our players are women. They don't have an issue. So, um, what can we do to keep other people engaged at the table um, during initiative? I think we've kind of beat this one to death at this point. Yeah, talk this one around in circles. But uh, what's the most overlooked part of initiative, in your opinion? And for me, it is always going to be the reaction. If you have not used your reaction or set yourself up to use your reaction, you're wasting a part of your turn because. You should always be set up in a way to make it so that the enemies are forced to move around you or in specific ways. Um, there's not a whole lot of reaction spells or reaction um, things that you can do, but I mean, battle masters can. And uh, sometimes I think monks have a couple of things that they can do. If you are not using your reaction when it is available to you, you're not setting that up. And when it's something your character can normally do, you are wasting some of the design of this character. And so that's something for me to think about when I'm a player. I look at the different parts of my turn. Can I use every single part of my turn? Because the action economy is everything. The difference between whether or not I'm doing one-handed or two-handed damage will probably not matter by the end of combat. Right. So if I can get a bonus action in instead, that might make the difference. Yeah. So I will often choose to do a cantrip first level spell combo on my turn because if you if it's an action and a bonus action for the first level and the cantrip you can do it on your turn right i often choose to do that instead of a second level spell that will do more damage just because i'm using more of my turn dave uh i mean i think you really you really nailed it there the idea of making sure like we went over there's five parts of your turn what's the least the, utilized in your opinion uh probably your reactions uh, just because it's so easy to not be within range of someone and not have a spell that's a reaction. You're like, as a barbarian, if I'm not engaged in combat, I'm using my full, like I'm using a dash action to get over there. Um, I'm not, like, what, what's my, what do I do? How, how do I react to that? I, I think movement also is not utilized after round two. People run up and they stand there. And, they, and no matter how big the battle map is, it tends to all congregate in one big lump in the middle. Yeah. Right? So... That's why when we were doing the Christmas, I kept getting Santa to Misty Step over here and Misty Step over here. That was very annoying. It's, fun. It, yeah. yeah, I know, but it, it 
If you guys are just going to stand there and just trade blows with each other, man, I'm going to come up with... Uh, I've seen that on the internet. Well. Uh, yeah, you, you jumped in ahead of me. I was going to say movement. Uh, movement's huge for me. And I agree uh, with what Adam said there. People go out, they do their thing, and then they go... They could have 10 feet of movement left, and they'll go, I guess that's it. It happened to my party uh, two weeks ago. All of them finished their turn within range of a, of a dragon's breath weapon, a cone breath weapon. I was like, you guys knew he was there, and you finished your turn <laughs> in the middle of the hallway, like with this big fucking whatever, and you knew what was going to happen. But a particular part of movement for me, I'll count it as part of movement, uh, which is going prone. I lie down all the fucking time. If you're like... If you're using your crossbow or your bow or whatever, and you know you're going to stay in range, and there's five feet of stairs, and they're up there, and you're done with your action, lie down. You are now in total cover or not visible to them. Or lie or, down. Or they the at least have disadvantage on ranged attack. Ex- exactly. Just make sure you're outside of their movement. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, there's things to consider with it, but I'm all about going prone. I remember we had an encounter with, I think it was like Medusa's. Yeah. And I was playing Titus. Yeah. And I was like, Hopping in and out of this window, running over, getting my shots off, running back, jumping back through into the building, and then lying down like every time. Pop, 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 pop. Didn't get hit. Didn't get hit. Yeah. However, the barbarian was just standing there and getting beat in the face. He was but that's his job, right? No. To but, a degree. To, uh, there, there could have been some tactical. You also had mobile and sentinel. Yeah. Which oh was yeah, I built my character brutal. for it. Yeah, I built my character for it. But yeah, you can say that's your job. Your job is to actually do your, your job is to play your character well. And most of the time it might be to stand in front of it. But I had a, I had plate armor on. I was a, the tank character champion fighter, but I was like, it is, I will do my job better in this instance further away. So why would I be over there? And I said earlier, you know, know your role in the party. And I think that's going to be a little controversial. There'll be people that will roll their eyes and say, well, I want versatility. I chose. A wizard because I want access to all of these spells or I don't want to be just sitting there as a barbarian. Rage hit, rage hit, rage hit. That's boring to me. But your role is not your action. Yeah. Right? Your role is you, as a barbarian, you instinctively know that all of the squishy spellcasters are relying on you to suck up some of the attacks in um when you're in initiative when you're in combat the action economy will be worse because they're spending their time hitting you and you are able to just suck up a lot of that damage um knowing your role if you are the rogue your role is to be the sneak it's not necessarily sneak attack it might be get around everybody else you double move you disengage and dash right and you get the fuck around everybody else and you spend your whole turn moving so that next time you can pick up the idol and uh, in the back of the room and then do it again and then get everybody retreat. Yeah. Right? That that could just be all you need to do. So um I I have really enjoyed watching people lean into that. Um like the cleric that just should not be in the middle of combat but has to stay within a certain range of everybody stay within thirty feet of me. Yeah. Right? So, like... You're just fucking chasing people around. Yeah. Let's say you're like a tornado moving through a town, trying to chase the people. But when when they're able to do that, I, as a DM, then get to say, hey, you know what? I can put harder monsters there because they're more tactical. I can use a CR7 against this level 5 party. Right? And they will be just fine because they're smart about how they, how they move. And it makes the game more interesting. Do you have any other final tips for players about staying engaged during combat? <sighs> Anything else we haven't covered yet? I think we kind of covered 
We, we've covered yeah, a lot then of some, it. Yeah. A couple of little ones from me. Take a bathroom and text break anytime before you get into a combat. Okay, we're going to roll initiative. Everybody go pee if you need to. Send your text. Do whatever because we're going to be doing this for probably an hour. Yeah. Probably going to take about an hour. And uh, DMs, this is a quick, easy one. Just remind players who's next. Just be like, okay, Dave, it's your turn. Adam, you're on deck. Oh, one of my it favorite... brings them in. One okay, of my okay, favorite okay. things to do is, uh, is there anything else you would like to do on your turn? Kyle, you're up next. Yeah. 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 Right? Well, even that, even like, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But I'm saying like, if it's your turn now, it is now your turn. You're after him. Yeah. What I would say. Okay. Because then people are like, oh shit, okay, my spell, my spell, my spell. And then they're, they're, you know that they're, there is no excuse for them not being engaged. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I'm going to say about uh, staying engaged during combat is, um, how can I, how can I put this? When somebody else is doing the thing that you disagree with, don't sit there and coach them as to why they should do it a different way. Mm. Ask yourself why are they doing it the way they're doing it. Because you may not have the answers and sometimes getting engaged in other people's decisions that don't make sense to you will give you a deeper understanding of how they're role-playing their character. Because not every decision has to be tactically perfect. As much as we say, plan out, use as much of your initiative as possible to stay engaged longer, role-play during your combat, it doesn't always have to be combat, combat, combat. Right. right. Um, sometimes, and I always appreciate this out of combat, when I say, all right, it's town time, what's everybody doing? And the cleric says, I'm going to go pray. Yeah. I don't need anything more than that, but they are engaged. They've chosen this. And I will say, what does that look like? What are you using? Is it your light incense? And it engages them because they're, they are now thinking about this, this character as a person and not just a, a mini or an avatar, right? Or a character sheet. You know what? I got something else here. Uh, I've got a player at my table who often shows up and he doesn't, he, he does his turn. He does his turn well. He knows his stuff. He is great from that perspective. But we will often get to about 9.15. We have a rule. We're done at 10 o'clock. We'll get to 9.15. And all of a sudden, we hear snoring on the other end of the Zoom call. And we know he's asleep. We'll ask him a couple of questions, and he won't respond. He'll be asleep. Man, that is so annoying to everybody else at your table. Has and, he deliberately, like, deliberately disengaged and left? Well, or? no. It's He sets himself up to fail. He'll go. We'll be playing from our own homes that night. We play it online. And he will crawl into bed, and he'll have his dice tray beside him on his nightstand and his laptop sitting on his lap. And it sees immediately out. Put yourself in a situation to succeed. If you can't do that, don't show up. Yeah. Right? You are going to be more of a detriment to your table than, in, like... We don't need you there to play a session. If you literally cannot, that's okay. If you are too tired, go home and sleep, man. That's that's something that I, I want to point out. Before we wrap this episode up, we're going to cut to an ad break here in a second. But do yourself care before you play. Yeah. Right? And I know, like, Charlie works nights, and he wakes up stupid fucking early to come play on uh, D&D on Sundays. Um, he's used to getting up at 8 p.m., and he gets up at... At 3 p.m.? I mean, would you want to wake up five hours early before you start your fucking day? Right? Nope. But he is super committed to it. However, I every time I pick him up, I say, did you eat today? Because I know he's going to be a bag of shit for the next two hours until he eats. And when he's like, no, I'm like, all right, we'll hit a drive through We'll stop at a 7-Eleven. We'll, something in your stomach. And I, myself, as a DM, we start at 4. I am in D&D mode at 2.30 mm-hmm. because I have got to do my level of, I gotta have a shower first, so I feel kind of more perky and awake. I, mean, I gotta make sure I'm caffeinated. I gotta make sure that I've had a proper lunch because I cannot live off of barbecue chips, right? Um, which is what Sundays are. Um, for years. Yeah. <laughs> it's been <laughs> right. um, uh, I often don't eat 
two meals on Sundays, right? So um, anyway, let's let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Uh, anything else before we're, we're done here tonight, guys? I've covered everything I wanted to say. I feel like I've covered everything and then some. I learned a little bit about myself, which I'm not super keen on. So it's not why I do this? I'm too. Uh, I picked up a couple of uh, genuine uh, good tips for myself, uh, which is good. That means this podcast is working. That's great. <laughs> At least for you two. Really? Um, no, that, I'm, I'm content with, with this for players. We're going to have more episodes about uh, player engagement and players and, and tips and tricks and shit for players to think about in the future. So, Yep. That's right. So that's all for our discussion on player engagement. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we're going to shift from good guys to bad guys and dive into a number of classic D&D monsters and how to breathe new life into them. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, when you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. And welcome to another episode. I automatically fucked it up, huh? Christ. Jesus Christ. You've been gone for 10 seconds. <laughs> Look what happens. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. <sighs> you do your thing, Dan. You change the fucking words, Adam. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because I expected you could read. I don't think I am a psychopath. Well, I mean, you wouldn't. I would. <laughs> <laughs> See you next Tuesday.